Wait a second. What happens? 18? Yeah, it's You 18. just know the mic's it hot. It is. It's 18. You know the mic's hot. Welcome to Plat Chat Valorant, episode 18, Kings and Queens. Listen, we got a special <laughs> episode for you because on this one, we're reviewing the Mediterranean citrus scented candle. Pop that wow. bad boy open right there. Mm. And use my little plasma cutter. You hear that? Oh, look at that. Plasma cutter. What is that? What is a plasma cutter? What is a plasma cutter? Boom. Got a candle going. Nice. Wow. I'm I'm far less concerned about the smell of the candle and far more concerned about where'd you get the plasma cutter? So we'll put that in the middle. And why? Uh, it's yeah, a, why do you have a plasma a cutter? Oh, is it? I mean, that's some high What the hell grade. is that? Yeah. You really are going to start this... your candle reviewing YouTube channel, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. At some point, maybe. Brent just got his YouTube channel monetized, and he's planning to expand oh, there. No, no, no. So, there's a, so when you type in Bren on YouTube, it comes up with Josh, your channel, uh, a lot of the time. <laughs> but the second channel it comes up with is not mine. It is a candle reviewer called Bren... Who has 10,000 subs? Oh, it does come up with mine now. Okay. <laughs> well, it used to it used to come oh, up with either Josh's or the candle reviewer called Bren. A um, touch and, video. Yeah, and so uh, I, I was saying... Uh, or a lot saying of stuff my, about the gun called Bren. I was saying to my stream, I was going to do like a candle review as a joke when I, when I reached a certain you should, do a you should reach out to the candle review Bren and do, do like a collab. collab. <laughs> <laughs> Collaboration? Yeah, a collab. That's that's such a weird joke because that only hits people that are aware of the <laughs> SEO issues that you've been running into and or are fans of both friends who have a combined subscriber count of under 12k. Yeah. That's a really niche joke. So, yeah, they can both be fans of the same thing. Funny though, isn't it? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know what the, the biggest thing though is? I'm not even a big pumpkin fan and I've ordered this pumpkin cold brew <laughs> thing. Yeah. Tetra size, what it was it called? Trenta. Trenta. Tetra. Yeah. Tetra. I mean, I, you asked what it is, I told you what it is, and then you Tetra said it wrong again. Anyway. <laughs> but let's keep going. We have some changes in patch 1.11 that weren't even, uh, weren't, they didn't document them. Jesus Lord. Christ almighty. That boy can put it away You're like a little chipmunk, can't you? Look at Like a little chipmunk. Some sneaky uh, changes in patch 1.11. Look at that yeah. production value. Dude, Kurt, Kurt uh, has been working day and night. I come downstairs to, yeah. to get a little glass of water at, at 5 a.m. Kurt's down here, slaving away, making, making these little lower thirds. Fantastic. Kurt, Kurt putting in the work, yeah. the hard work, and then he's like, you know what? This is going to pay off in this episode. I'm going to fly this lower third in, Whoa. and all we talk about is candles pumpkin spice yep. lattes and josh Look at eating that. Bananas. where is the peel gone why did you fully you just fully unsheathed the banana to uh, why he's a, he's a psycho we know he's a psycho <laughs> okay they taste one. better without the peel do you eat the peel i'm not saying to eat the peel but i've never seen someone just so early into the process of eating a banana fully Jesus unravel Christ, the banana and then I mean, okay, what did they You're do? You're like the, the hot dog eating yeah, content what, what guy, bananas. Anyway, the, the update had some breach changes. It also had some changes to the way that some of the utility works as well, but I'll get into that after we talk about breach. 
Um, so we've already talked about patch 1.11, right? In in pretty extravagant detail. Yeah. In fact, the past two episodes, I think we have because it got <laughs> delayed and pushed back. Yeah. But in this patch, there was a couple of a uh, couple of things that that weren't documented actually. Um, the fault line, which is his uh, his E ability, right? Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now tra- it charges up 20% faster. So it's almost faster for you to maybe follow up on some solo plays, I suppose, possibly. But it also detonates five meters away from you. Or is it eight meters away? Eight. It's eight yeah. meters yeah. away eight. from you. So s- these changes, are, I suppose, are more in line so that you're not catching your teammates out and you can make a lot of solo plays off the back of it. But they are really pushing breach. Yeah. I think I think your point is that they want uh they want him to be able to kind of make plays on his own, I guess, for the people playing in ranked and uh unranked spike, whatever the hell they play. Uh just so that they can make solo plays because he is such an agent that I still think it's the same way, that relies on other people to follow up on the things that he does. Uh so for me, it's trying to get him to be playable in a solo setting. Uh, I don't know if they're going to achieve that. They're going to make him super strong, though, in the process of trying to. Mm-hmm. The whole eight meters away thing is weird because it makes some spots not work anymore. Yeah. Or at least there's like an back area. Up. Yeah, it's super weird. Like you're either going to have to back away from areas, which means that you you can't like run to them as quickly. I don't get it, to be honest. There'll be some places that are missed out. Like if someone was really close... You don't know that they've been stunned. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I don't like is... what's the thought process? Is it so that well, your teammates can stand in the line of fire but not get I think hit? I think it is hit? to stop your teammates getting stunned. But at that yeah. point, why not just make it so that your teammates are immune to the stun? Yeah. Yeah, this seems like a really weird change. I don't get it. I think yeah, it must be so that you can do it in a pack of teammates, right? So, like, you're all running through the choke point. You can just hold down E and use it, mm-hmm. even if there's people in front of you. Yeah. And then same for I, his ultimate as well. But there's a couple of spots. It seems like a very weird way of doing it. That mess up from this, right? It's when you're trying to retake A and you're on the rotate and you're on bind. Sorry, I should, probably should have specified the map. <laughs> um, you're trying to retake A bind and you're stunning through from uh, metal. Uh, def- defense side into uh, lamps. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think that would get busted though, would it? I think it would, yeah. I mean, maybe it wouldn't, but the, the eight meters is quite a distance. It is. It is, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, well, aside from just changes themselves, I, mean, I think the overarching question is why were these not listed with the mm. actual flash chain? In- yeah. There been any? I think there was a ju- there was some justification posted. I think was there? Yeah, well, and it was, I didn't yeah. see it. So. It was it was that yeah. the localization for the translation they weren't going to get it out in time. Ah, oh. so they didn't want the patch notes in all the other languages to not include it and only in English. Okay, I mean it is just better to include it only in English though, because then other people at least have like some translation tools online. Go if on. you literally don't include it everywhere. <laughs> You are robbing everybody of it yeah. when your argument is that you don't want to rob some people of it. Yeah. I think the <laughs> argument then, is, isn't it just corporate red tape that's 
stopping yes, these kind I of things so. to go through. Like if sure. if you cannot put it in every language, then it's not put in at all. That definitely seems like mm-hmm. a company policy. That, uh, yeah. that yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it, but it certainly does more damage than good for the company because I think <laughs> then it just turns on the uh, speculative minds of the masses. That do you think they're going to? Gonna, buff. Do you think they're going to achieve what they want to achieve with breach, though? I I don't know. I don't know what they want to achieve. I just what's Maybe driving me crazy is that I think breach was just. Fine. They had him in a perfectly fine spot where he was powerful, usable, relied on teamwork. And that's going to be the case for plenty of agents in this game. Well, I mean, they're creating a game with agents that have specific roles, specific pluses and drawbacks to playing them. And there are going to be some that just rely on teamwork heavily. And Breach is just one of them. I, I like where they had him previous to these changes. I think he was fine. Yeah, I think that's a, that's kind of where I think of as like... Okay, they they want some of these agents to be ones you have to work with your teammates. <laughs> this Brent plays with the plasma cutter, <laughs> just lights things on fire. Uh, uh, are they going to be able to convince the general public that these agents are worth picking in games, right? Because it seems like that's kind of what they're using to buff Breach in a sense, is like the pick rate is still low, the win rate's still low. They've try and find it like very difficult that he doesn't really coordinate in games. I don't know if you're going to solve that by just buffing some of these agents that have this type of play style. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that the entire approach is a little bit wonky, but at the end of the day, they're going to keep throwing shit at the wall until they figure something out. I think the game is very much in an experimental phase right now with a bunch of different stuff uh, and agent design and yeah. Getting people's like win rates up and figuring out if they even need to do that is all it's all part of it. They uh yeah. I, I don't know. At some point they might just give up, but only after a bunch of experimentation. Everybody becomes the duelist. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's any examples in League of Legends of this where there's like a champion that's that requires coordination, particularly more than any other, and the win Josh rates in pubs lower. You me. You me. I mean <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I do know that there's examples of this in Dota and also Overwatch as well. In Dota, there's a there's a hero called Io, which is a fucking floating orb. Oh yeah, that, that can power up your teammates, can heal them, but it literally requires team play to pull off a lot of the potential. But in some cases, in pro play, whenever it is meta, it's like sometimes it's like almost must pick first ban material. Um, because it's so strong, but in pubs, it's always at the lowest win rate. No matter how much they buff it or change it, it's always low win rate um, because it requires coordination. Same with Sombra and Overwatch as well. That's like an example most people might yeah, be familiar true. with where you need people to follow up on the hacks. You need yeah. that coordination. Those, those, those characters, the, the inherent design of them, it means the win rate is always going to be low in ranked because uh-huh. like communication... Coordination it goes to the wayside in in turn for individuality, and yeah, I think you're you're right, Josh. It's like we're in the experimental phase, I suppose. Like the first year, maybe year and a half of a game when it's released, even when it's released, is them figuring out where they want to go in terms of direction of yeah. agent balance design, the the kind of fundamentals of that. Yeah, it's uh, interesting changes. My voice echoed yeah. more than it usually did. Yeah, it's coming through Matt's headset. 
He's got the boomer ears. Oh, he has Matt. it cranked up to eleven sometimes. <laughs> oh, Matt. No, I don't. In other news, Riot said that they're going to accelerate the next few maps that they release mm. to get to seven, so that they can have actual uh, a varied yeah. competitive pool, which is good because it means that okay, they recognize they need, we need more maps for the competitive integrity of the game, um, and uh, it looks like it's going to be on the priority list because we 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 kept saying like, why are they focusing so much on agent? releases when they need maps in the game when yeah. at, that, at the point yeah. when we were saying this i think there was only four maps four. um yeah this is yeah. uh this is quite good um yeah i mean here's the thing even if they're rushed maybe this is a hot take but i've said it now <laughs> <laughs> even if they're rushed i feel like getting the maps out is a good thing because the you can tune them up later you know? Mm. You can tune the maps up later. Yes. I mean, you can. You can make changes to them, but I think that's that's what's worrying people. Yeah. It's like, what do they mean by accelerate here? Do they I'm mean that they're yeah. going to skip things or rush things, or do they mean that they're reallocating resources from other teams <laughs> to build more I, maps? I would think it's the, the latter. I think they just mean that they're going to put more focus onto... Uh... Yeah. finishing the map design because they now understand how important it is given that um, it seems like perhaps maybe more recently they've decided to, to put more effort into actually running the events themselves and more focus on the esports uh, side of things with First Strike and whatever comes after First Strike and with that they need a larger map pool. I mean that's just yeah. it's just yeah. necessary for the game we, so I think that's We've already seen another BO5 final that only had four maps in it again. <laughs> Yeah. Like again, we saw another BO5 that had <laughs> a, the final map be picked by pure RNG that just massively favored one side. I would say as well, they, you know, they mentioned it when they uh, talked about Killjoy when Killjoy was released, but they had said that she was an agent, like one of the longest agents they've had in production. Like she was already made basically when the game came out. Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if they had banked two to three agents who at least the kits and like they're close to done, right? So maybe you don't need to focus as much on like the agent design, so to speak, for, you know, the next six to eight months, because a lot of that could just be like finishing up things like art and voice yeah. lines yeah. and now whatnot, that it gives you more time to work on the maps. Uh I'm worried with the reaction to Icebox, what the next kind of maps are. Like, I would say the almost the, the kind of, you don't really like to call them gimmicks, but they kind of like are in a way, like the teleporters, uh, uh, three bomb sites. Like, Iceboxes in a way is almost like it's verticality. It's like, well, where do you go from there in terms of trying to get creative and push the limits of map design? Uh, I'd, I'd kind of be worried on where that ends up. Maybe um, you don't push the limits anymore. Maybe you still stay well within the limits and just make some solid maps. Yeah, because also pigeons. I don't think I don't think we're staying within the limits. <laughs> you you, you don't need to. Though. The, the pro reaction to Icebox has also been tending towards negative. The closer we get to actually yeah. playing it, and the more it's been out there. Like at the beginning, it was really exciting. There was a lot of positivity around it. Uh, although it was like cautious positivity because people did realize there was a shit ton of angles in that map. And then the more that the pros have been playing it, the trickle of information coming out from them seems to be that Icebox is not liked in terms of scrims and pro play and pugs and whatever they've been running on them. 
Um, and I think that when you see something like they're going to accelerate the next few maps, I, I think that's a good thing. But considering there's like the Sova drone bug that's currently in the game, and there have been <laughs> other bugs that are that are in there, it, it gets worrying, I think, for the pros that the process will not be as polished as it has been already. Because oh. um, generally speaking, it's been good. Like the the competitive integrity has been good in the game, I think. But if things start to get rushed and sloppy, you can see that going downhill. What's the uh, what's the Sova drone bug? Oh, you haven't seen that. Uh, it's like a uh, Sova gets on top of like he pulls out his recon drone and he gets on top of it and like moves for a bit. And uh, Josh, see if you can find the clip. There's one on a yeah. uh, Haven on Sea Long where <laughs> oh, a guy like yeah, there it is. Uh, yeah, he can he could use it to boost himself, but then also. Uh, People are doing it by accident and just killing themselves with it. I saw <laughs> yeah. one on C Long on uh, uh, Haven on offense. A guy went into a corner, called out his recon drone, and accidentally put him on top of it, put him in the middle of the choke, and he just got operated. <laughs> yeah, this might be a hot take, but I feel like I'd rather have the recon drone for its intended purpose. Yeah, probably. No, no, no. Um, the point is that people are accidentally dying with it. They're right. trying to use it properly because to do otherwise would be bug abuse, right? In the in the game at the moment. But you you're trying to use the drone properly. But if you don't look in a very specific angle, it will almost always start rising you upwards. And if you're behind a wall using Sova drone, your head's gonna bobble up and then you die. <laughs> and it's actually it's been in a couple of tournaments recently. There was a post on the uh, Valorant right. competitive Overwatch. It uh valorant competitive subreddit um, that's not, that's not about, a map design uh, problem though. Yeah, no it's not but well it's an issue with things being in the game that haven't been fully tested like well, the, the fact that there's no like ptr for everybody sure did you they see the, uh, to do that the newest like it was a uh community like q a that they did uh riot does one like pretty frequently i don't know if it's every week or every other week yeah but uh they did one and they addressed like how buggy uh the patch was uh and they were like well maybe we need to slow down like with our patching but then speed up with like deliverables like maps and agents like i don't know uh because because this act did have a ton of bugs yeah uh and and what's unfortunate is it should have been like a big moment where a ton of people probably came back and gave valorant a second try right new map a uh, new agent, new battle pass, the tournament kicking off. Yeah. And it was kind of overshadowed by just how ridiculously buggy the patch was. And for people who aren't like super into it and like follow it, all they probably know is that they tried to hold a tournament and it was so buggy they had to revert the patch for everybody in the world. Yeah. Right. What's your take on it, Wyatt? Um, I mean... I I do appreciate the fact that I think that prioritizing maps is the right direction to go at the moment. I do think that that is important for the current state of esports in the game and the near future of the esports side of the game. So I do appreciate them putting their focus on that. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, at the end of the day, I think there are inevitably going to be some level of bugs in the game, and I don't mind their process of releasing them, like how they did with Icebox, uh, releasing the map just in uh, unranked. 
for a set amount of time, people play it and can discover if there are yeah, bugs yeah. on it. And they, then uh, they'll be able to fix it through that. I, I think that's a pretty fine system for now. Um, and I, th I, f I feel as though I would be fine if they just did that for the next couple of releases. I think that's a fine way to go about it. They have said that uh, they're going to have a public uh, uh, test room. Mm. Oh, so yes, I, they, I guess they're going to have one. That's so I assume a lot of this stuff you'll be able to kind of get out in the future. And then it's also good that for the uh, first strike tournament, they were able to have all the players uh, roll back their clients to play on the more stable uh, version of it. So uh, there, there's a lot of positives, a lot of, I think, uncertainty question marks in a lot of this and how, yeah, I... uh, how stable they can keep the game. I don't think... When when you guys are saying accelerate, I don't think really moving people from one department to the other works in that manner with game design because you'll have people who are specializing in the balance of agents who aren't necessarily going to be able to help or contribute that much, I feel like, no. to map design. Because yeah. map design itself is quite a it's quite a difficult aspect of game design, at least <clears> from <throat> what I've seen. You have to have a kind of fundamental understanding of how Everything comes together because it's it's it is the it's the playground of which everything comes together in the, in the game. Um, but what I'm thinking is stuff like the visual polish at the end. The same people. I mean, I'm just assuming. I don't really know how it works, but I'm assuming that the same people that work on the visual side of the agents could also and maybe would also work on the visual side of the maps. Sure. Yeah. You reallocated. Mean like I, I don't know whether that's how game design actually works. Yeah. But no. Like the. The actual visual effects or the the overall look of the map could be accelerated from yeah yeah no the, I like, can see that cube model yeah yeah I I can absolutely see that I'll, I'll elaborate as well a little bit on my hot take which was that I don't mind them rushing the maps out and that's because I feel like a bad map is I don't know I think it's easier to fix and faster to fix compared to a uh, a bad agent being released how do you fix a bad map once it's live well i mean well you get you get statistics pretty quickly on what's bad like they have heat map statistics where they can see who's dying in this like in this particular area like oh you're pushing through this choke point people are dying here a lot why oh they're having to check three corners at once whatever like there's ways that you can quicken up the process uh to actually try and make those fixes and also this might be a bit of like a I, a cynical, I think... a cynical worldview that yeah. I have, but I feel like it is. Uh, you're you're more inclined to fix a bad map quicker than you would be an unbroken and uh, or like a, a broken agent on the premise that you're paying for the agents. Mm. So like, you, there's already a bit of an incentive, although I think no one will ever admit oh, to it. Yes. To power have, creep, yeah, to have a little bit of power creep <laughs> yeah. in the new releases, like the you know, you get, release, exactly. You know, get, get people yeah. get people paying for the new agent when it comes yeah. out. But like a map design, everybody gets it. A new map comes out, everybody gets it. You're incentivized to fix it quite quickly. If it, if you the sooner you release it, the sooner you can begin fixing it. I think that's a pretty fair and point. It, like if you go back, remember the haven of old like the at, towards the beginning of the game how obnoxious it was for instance to try to take like garage control on haven yeah and then they just make very small adjustments put a box in a corner that you can know real you can't stand in this corner any longer and mm -hmm. uh, they did yeah. the same on ascent i mean yeah they made a bunch of small changes that significantly improved those maps really quickly i mean that was early on 
excuse me, uh, early on in the game's lifespan. Yeah. And we haven't looked back. Like, all those maps have yeah. been perceived as fine since then. So, I guess if the map is close to being, like, good, you, you don't have an issue. Uh, I, I do think it is quite difficult to adjust, like, make major sweeping adjustments to a map, like, once it's live. Uh, I mean, you kind of see they just put... Like, this was solved by what a bunch of boxes really and like expanding areas like yeah uh, they also they made a very large change to split mid. split in the mid yeah yeah, yeah. since beta so that that really was a huge change that was also because it was in beta i think that they felt so comfortable doing that but i could see you know i could see some large changes coming to maps <laughs> if uh, they needed to my mind goes to horizon lunar colony uh which which <laughs> still is a map that exists uh in overwatch and uh paris as well where like they're reworking them out heard them absolutely and then good. they're and then they're gone uh mm -hmm. so i don't i don't know uh, i think your your take isn't really that hot though bren like uh everybody wants more maps nobody wants to play uh you know haven 10 times in a row uh you know, after a night of work, you think somebody wants to come home and play five games of Icebox? Like, they definitely want to play I'll, something. I'll, I'll, take I'll take Haven it. ten times in a row. Something else. I actually quite Dude, like me, Icebox. Me and Wyatt, like ran, Icebox it up, me oh, and Wyatt ran it up on Icebox. No, on Icebox. Because we played so many of those Icebox we had oh, yeah, 10-mans. You, you'll prepare. We had a five, yeah, Matt and I got it five three stack. times in a row, and we just... Oh, I actually haven't been playing three, like, three thirteen fours. Like we were, yeah. we were just rolling. I need to jump on actually because the amount of ten mans we played on ice spot on. Oh man, I, I've been I've been neglecting sure. it. I need to basically the be farming while people don't know oh, yeah. how to play it's, the map. It's so good. Yeah, that's what we did. Okay, farm the Timmies. Let's talk tournaments. Uh, one yes. team in particular. <laughs> they go by the name of Sentinels. Ah, uh, yes. There's one question on everybody's mind. Are they trying to get fined by Riot? <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot of accusations going around of sandbagging. Sandbagging would be the term that we would use in Overwatch, at least. Remember the, the, the season one? God almighty. I mean, don't New even... York sandbag. Yeah, the New York sandbag. The, the New York sandbag rumor, whatever the hell it was, the, the, the storyline that was being sold. Um, th this is something similar, where it's like our Sentinel is just kind of not playing up to their potential in the qualifiers because there is an incentive to not play properly to a degree you know not to reveal too much um so much of this tournament of the qualifier like essentially as soon as you make it into the closed qualifier you basically are only playing to make it past the round of one so you get into the main event yeah i mean there are two maps that really they were only playing for seeding here yeah and um the the first one was sentinels when they played against uh Damn, who even was it? It was Gen G. Uh, it was yeah, the first Gen one. G. Yeah, G. And then, and then the thieves. other one was against 100 Thieves. Yeah. And the, I mean, neither of them, they didn't really get punished for either in terms of their placing in the major tournament. They've still qualified. They've qualified in a good seed. It's not the number one seed, which I think most people would have expected them to get had they been genuinely playing at 100%. But it, it's not going to make any difference come the, the final event. And the way that they were playing, like in the 100 Thieves game, they had Sinatra playing Jet. And then mm. on the uh, Gen G game, they were doing 360s and shit. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I look, 
this type of stuff happens with tournaments all the time where you get placed in pointless games like i actually don't really like if they don't value it that's totally fine uh i think almost like just kind of publicly displaying that is a bit bad uh like if you don't really care about the seating that's fine just go out play the game everybody just pick their roles just kind of do whatever and then just end it uh i i think you kind of waste your time the viewers time and the other team's time when you do it this way this is also why uh other tournaments and uh leagues and whatnot come up with systems that avoid games like this and then players get angry that like things are done on win percentage in earlier games and other stuff like that but it's done because when you get to this point everybody just kind of like throws their hands up in the air uh like if you if you based it off of like round win percentage, right? Like off of like uh, up to a certain point, everyone would have been like, oh, well, like why should the earlier rounds kind of count through the overall? I should only count for the good teams and whatnot. But that's because of situations that arise like this, where now, uh, now everybody's just kind of forced in the situation. So yeah. uh, do, do I mind if they sandbagged it? No, it's just don't, don't do it so blatantly, I would say. I also think that the uh, the fault here is not never with Sentinels. Like even if you think that it's a bad look for the game or bad look for the team or whatever, the the fault in my opinion is with any format that just creates these useless games. Well, yeah. Like the, okay. they're playing the, when they played against 100 Thieves in this game, they're playing for seeding of a tournament that, that is 30 days later a seeding of a tournament where they don't know their opponents and don't get to pick their opponents. No. They were playing on a different patch with different balance and with a different agent and, and with a, a different map. So, like, the seeding could not be more useless if they tried. <laughs> Even if they got to pick their opponent right now, they wouldn't know who the fuck to pick. So, I think the, the format is to blame there. Yeah, I, I think this, this one against 100 Thieves is uh, not as annoying as the gen g one the gen g one was a bit sillier because they're playing again in just whatever it was like four days something like that it was within a week that they were going to play again um that one was a bit sillier and i mean they're kind of you know they're they're embracing the joke and running with the the white claw shit and it's yeah it's kind of amusing but at the same time I agree with Matt. Like, I mean, I said it last week from the jump. Like, if you're gonna have fun, just play for fun and don't tweet about it later. I mean, that's yeah. just but you... yeah. Josh brings up a good point I... as well. Like, I mean, this is this is played on like a previous patch without a map, without an agent. Like, they probably just want to go back and play on live because uh, that's where it really is going to matter sure. uh, in 30 days. But, uh. You got to remember though, as well, that the, the patch they were supposed to play on the main event was supposed to be being played in the second qualifier, but because it was pushed back, it's now not being played, which did change things. Like I think the seeding, I feel like it, the seeding would have had more importance if the patch was going to be changing, right? But given that it's not, I, I don't think so because you don't think so. No, because those teams still don't play for another thirty days. So they they just don't play in the next qualifier. Like you would still want to get through to the main event. No one's arguing against that. They 100% tried in their Sentinels versus T1 game and they still lost a map. So, you know, there's still question marks about how good Sentinels do look at the moment. Sure. Like I think that almost 
their sandbagging has gone some way to mitigate the genuine concerns that would be had by most viewers watching Sentinels oh, play at their full pace. 100%. They don't look as good as other teams, honestly. They, no. Like, if you judge them by their current form, they look maybe like, I don't know, maybe second or third, honestly, right now. I mean, their game against Dignitas as well was super losable, and that was one they were playing in because they had to get out of the group. They were taking that game seriously. They had to win that game, and it went to the first map OT, uh, like 14-12 they won, and then the second map they won 13-11 yeah. against Dignitas, who were looking mm -hmm. okay. I mean, certainly not looking as good as a Dignitas that we've seen before. Um, and Sentinels in those games were looking particularly uninspiring. Um, I mean, really just more of the same. You could have told me I was watching a, a VOD from two months ago. I mean, it was just really nothing new, which is to be expected because they took so much time off, I suppose. So you can shoot them some bail there. But still, yeah, it was nothing uh, incredible. It didn't... They were playing with the, uh, the, the... The games where they were just playing for fun make it seem like they have the full confidence that they are still the best team and will just be winning this tournament regardless. But in their games where they were taking it seriously, I didn't have that confidence in them. But but also, I still do for the main event. Yes, because I do too. It, like I said, it's yeah. 30 days away, or like it was when they were playing their games. It's yeah, I, you know, just under a month away until the main event. It is going to be different. They're going to be grinding and... I, I do believe in this team. Like, I think you should still have them as favorites, even though they didn't look inspiring. I during do. These I, do. I, I still think they will win. I just don't feel as confident as, as I yeah. would have before. But are they still my favorites win? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Go ahead, Josh. The, the interesting thing to me is that you, Sentinel's run was so weird in this close qualifier because on one hand, you had them... Um, performing poorly against some teams when they were genuinely trying, like the close maps against Dig and the map loss against T1. Games where really you you want them to be slapping a bit harder, um, but they, they kind of muddle through those games. You've also got, on the other hand, the sandbagging, where you don't really know how genuine those losses were to Genji and 100 Thieves. All of these are like negatives that are piling up for Sentinels. But at the same time, you have them playing seriously in a match against Envy, a team that went on to win the close qualifier and looked really good doing so. And they they beat them, I'm not going to say handily, but they did beat them pretty convincingly. Like the, the bind game was good from both teams. And then Haven, they kind of ran away with it 13-6. Yeah. They just bopped them. So... When, you, when you've got Sentinels able to perform at that kind of level against that team, now, I haven't said that, Sen Envy have never beaten Sentinels before, and even though the matchup seems like they would have a good chance, it seems to be their kind of, their, their boogie team, their kryptonite in some way to try and defeat Sentinels. But they're still putting up good results. Like that is a really good result, that 2-0 over Envy. That does give you some confidence. So it's very all over the place when it comes to Sentinels' close qualified performance. You want to hear a wild uh, first strike update here from Europe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to. Oh, no. uh, we have an overtime game between uh, Guild in, I guess this is round one. Uh, they're down 16 15. I don't know who else is on the team, but uh, you can watch the other team from Taimu's POV. Wait, Dave. Is this oh, map one? Really? Yeah, this is their first And it's best of ones. Game. It's BO1 and they're yeah. 16-15 down. Holy moly. I was... 
I was watching the beginning of that, and Guild were up like six zero at a point as well at the very beginning. So, yeah, that, yeah. Uh... Best of ones again. What is it with Europe and best of ones? Yeah, I know. That's sad, really. <laughs> but... Very sad. Yeah, it. Uh... Now, now, could I see a team in Europe being like? If you went 0-2, being like, this is ridiculous, like, and almost kind of take, like, a Sentinels approach, I would actually be more okay if with that type of, like, like if, if they, they just kind of were like, well, you know, we lost two B01s, like, whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I think Sentinels, uh, like, like you guys mentioned, you don't know whether... Uh, this is going to keep going. Uh, you don't know where they kind of stand as a team because of such varying results. Oh my God. And then you always have the, well, who knows, like if they were really trying the thing to now fall back on. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah, definitely. This EU qualifier, by the way, for first strike qualifiers is going right now as we're recording and it's still yes. going to be, actually, it's not even going to be ongoing when we're done, when this is released because they're only playing one match today. No, they're not just what? playing one today, are they? I, when I looked on VLR, no, it, really? was showing, it was showing... One round of matches on oh, one actually, day. It's because they yeah. only show 128 on VLR. That's why. But really? that's also because it was a game, it, the tournament was of 512, yeah. but over 130 teams got got disqualified. <laughs> 130 they, teams? Yeah. And some, there was a grace period to allow other teams to re-enter. Like, for example, hmm. Big, I believe, got disqualified. Mike was talking to me about this on stream yesterday. And he's a coach for one of the teams that's in there. So he's been on the ground floor with this shit. Uh, apparently they updated the rules and they said that a sixth player was required and a bunch of people didn't have a sixth player that they could quickly grab. Um, and some of the sixth players that they grabbed were also, they had they had to be on different accounts. So when the accounts got verified, they weren't Immortal 1 on those specific accounts. So they had to get in touch with the admins. And apparently there's a bit of a clusterfuck around it and a bunch of teams got uh, disqualified. Nobody, oh. nobody huge, you know, nobody... Um, tournament defining probably yeah. uh, but at the end of the day it's made a big difference to a potential 512 team bracket because then there's only like i think there was only like 120 teams in this first qualifier which means that your first round and your second round for a lot of teams were not actually they were just buys so no. you ended up only playing so some teams have only played one game today i think because they were scheduled to play three but they essentially skipped the first two rounds. That sucks. Hmm. Well, God, this is tense though as well. What are we we're talking about? North American first strike while just watching Guild get eliminated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm down to just watch Guild get eliminated real quick <laughs> if you guys are. Or I mean, yeah, it seems like it's yeah, it's this is. I mean, we could have a little discussion as well on just the nature of tournament uh, tournament formats and we were, we were discussing yeah. the different formats of first strike and what we thought about it i mean at, at this point i think north america has probably the best uh, format uh, yes. but also oh, the most 100 the most fatiguing for viewers you know what i mean and yeah. players and players yeah but definitely the best in terms of deciding who should be yeah. at the main event absolutely yeah. absolutely this type of format for eu though is what it what like uh disincentivizes like organizations to like spend and go big though for like uh if you're a, a if you're like a guild or somebody like and you kind of invest into this game and uh, your your team gets eliminated in a best of one tournament where a bunch of teams got buys and they they had to 
like uh, people get DQ'd. Like it's just yeah. not not the best of look you want uh, from your first kind yeah. of uh, big major event. I, I don't understand why they're doing this in Europe because even in Brazil, where they have been running 512. Oh my god, this is going to continue. <laughs> even in Brazil, where they've been doing uh, 512 team BO1 brackets. They at least have the BO3 at the end to qualify. So like right. the round of 16 or whatever, where you need to actually get in, uh, they run that one as a BO3. And the seeding in the tournament makes sense. The seeding in this tournament was a bit wonky as well, man. It was a little bit leave it. It I was mean, a little over the bit place. leave it. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I threw that one in there for you, Brian. I, oh God, I don't actually know what to say. I feel like you've been watching... Um, the Ali G show from 2002. <laughs> the other thing to note as well while we're watching this stream is that I think we're currently watching from Taimu's POV, right? Yes. Yeah, we're watching yeah. from uh, Taimu. Uh, this, is, this is exactly what I hoped people would do, is if you're on a team like Taimu where you're not, you're not a big-name team, but you have a, a chance at upsetting some big-name team, you gotta stream, stream that POV, man. It's gonna get bonkers well, viewership. Maybe not at the time, but the VOD when people come, when people wake up in NA and they wonder, oh shit, how did Guild get knocked out? Like, how did Yassine's team get knocked out of this qualifier? Yeah. yeah. By and then they they they're like, oh shit, was my Taimu? And then they go and watch that VOD. Like, that's gonna pop. Well, mm. I couldn't find it on Twitter. I saw that it was uh in OT. And I was like, who the hell are they playing against? And I and I follow Taimu. Uh, we all know Taimu from Overwatch. He's still he, got the Dallas his... Fuel shit on his stream. Yeah, he does. He's uh, probably a Dallas Fuel streamer. He's he? probably a Dallas Fuel streamer, yeah. Uh, and he he said he was streaming the first strike EU, so I was like, oh, let me let me see how, how my boy's doing. It's games in OT. And I was like, that's kind of odd. The guild games in OT as well. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you put two and two yep. together. Now oh, my they... man Kurt as well. He's got that, he's got that instant update going on with the Yo, my man as well. Kurt, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a definitely a game that uh, even after it ends, which is you, you would watch the ending, I guess here uh, potentially, <laughs> but uh, that you should probably go back and watch. Uh, yeah, definitely. As this is a team that a lot of people probably didn't expect to go out early. Potentially, I mean, uh, what a time whose team has had them on the brink like three straight times. Yeah, is, <laughs> they just yeah, can't yeah. win a D. Nobody can win a defense to save their lives here. It seems like. Only it's interesting which other people are uh, streaming their POVs as well. Um, Mixwell, Pith, and David P are all streaming their POVs for G2 as well. And I find that to be bizarre. I love it. Oh, because the, uh, for G2, perhaps it doesn't make that much difference because they're a very free-flowing team. But for teams with strategy at the top level, you are just giving away your game plan and asking to be anti-strated, I think, in those scenarios. Like, if they watch some game tape, especially with the cons, I love it personally as a yeah. viewer, but I just I yeah. just think that doesn't make sense as a tactical decision. Oh, I mean, maybe God, they it's feel happening. Like, I mean, that's always been the, the counter-argument to doing it, but if you're confident enough in you know, your team, or if you're a team like this where you sort of have, oh, wow, they did it. it. There I mean, go. or if you're a team like this who has nothing to lose and you stream beating Guild and then an org sees it and you can get signed... I mean that's a lot of lot of upside that's, for a team uh, like this. That's well, brutal I mean, for the guild guys, though. I mean, really BO1 is. like a, a and a BO1 1917 loss is just 
That is a shitty feeling going into the next one. I think yeah, they're just absolutely. confident, though, that they are going to be able to make it through that qualifier. Um, and they're also safe in the knowledge that, I mean, it's 30 days until <laughs> the main event. It's yeah, so wait, far who, away. Who are you talking yeah. about? I'm talking about G2. Oh, G2, right. It's yeah, the, yeah. It's the same argument for Guild. Sentinels not giving a shit about the seeding. It's that the actual patch yeah. that you're going to be playing on is so far away that yeah. so much can change that even if you stream it, if you're in the main event, you're not going to be looking back at their comms. You know what I mean? No. And they're going to be playing against teams probably that not. probably don't have to structure. They're going to be playing against like pug teams to try and make it into the... Is there a closed qualification? The thing is the EU. Yeah, there is. God, the format just... I, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, there is a closed so qualifier confusing. afterwards as well. It's yeah. This is going to be such an interesting bracket because it's full of upsets <laughs> like that. Because any team can win. Genuinely, any team can win one, map. one against another yeah. team. It is just is one ridiculous. map. Anyway... Let's uh, let's go back over to North America. Let's talk about Envy as the as the rising team of NA currently, um, and they've been on the upward trajectory for quite some time. I think the general consensus or like the overarching thought process has always been that it's you know in the top five, if you were to name the top five teams, Envy were below. I, I would say this is this is the general consensus that Envy would be below Sentinels, Cloud Nine, TSM teams like that. But mm. I think. Given their recent performance and how well they have uh, showcased, I think, uh, against a bunch of top teams, they've shown that they're capable of uh, anti-stratting teams as well. Uh, on top of the just ridiculous performance they've had all qualifier long, you've you got to consider Envy now one of the top dogs to take the first strike North American tournament. I, I think they've definitely got a chance yeah. of winning it. Yeah, it's they, they keep losing to Sentinels, but they've got the ability to win against anybody else, it feels like. They've had wins over Cloud9 before in the past, and Cloud9 got eliminated this time by Renegades, so they didn't really have to clash up against them again. But that seems like a matchup that they can handle. Um, they managed to deal with 100 Thieves really easily in the grand final. I mean, that, that matchup worked incredibly well. 100 Thieves just couldn't deal with their defensive aggression at all. Um, the, the teams that are going to give them trouble are the Sentinels and TSMs of the world, I think. Um, yeah. Which is how it's been before well, in the Cloud past Nine. as well. Mm -hmm. Cloud9 yeah, Cloud well. I mean, Cloud did trouble, beat them in, but, the, in the previous qualifier. Yeah, but I also think that that's pretty winnable for them, that Cloud9 matchup. Oh, yeah, it is winnable. Matchup. It is winnable. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm really impressed with the team at the moment. They're one of... I, I mean, they're one of the three uh, teams at the top of NA that I, I think are just fully well-rounded in terms of the players on the team. The only time I think they have, I mean, yeah, I mean, like very little shaky play from any of the players at the moment. I mean, I think they're mm -hmm. all fairly comfortable. I still do think that the omen switching is a little odd, but they're making it work. So can't really complain too much about that. Um, I've been really impressed with Mummy. I, actually, maybe more than anyone, I've been so impressed with FNS. He is so damn good on Cypher. <laughs> yeah, very underrated, actually, I mean, Cypher, he, I feel. He makes mm. the impact he has, though, with the uh, uh, kills that he finds. It's just out of control. He sets himself up for so many like two Ks, three Ks, just round winning plays time and time again. And he's the in-game leader. I mean, he needs a lot more credit on this team. I think he's really <laughs> playing incredibly well, and he's improved significantly. I mean, it is cool. Just yeah, like you were saying, if you go back to Envy, you know, it was around. Uh, 
it was at FaZe Clan uh, Invitational that they started to really show that they were on the upswing. Because previous to then, it was, I mean, I, I didn't like, okay. expect a lot from them. I thought they were just a pretty good NA team. But, I mean, they really started right. making improvements around then. And it just yeah. hasn't stopped. It's just been an upward trajectory since. My but expectation. God, FNS is good. Yeah, he is. My, my expectations for this team were low after they lost Calypso as well. Uh, I felt like that Calypso was one of the best players on the on the roster. Um, uh, and it was a bit of a staggering blow. But they've, they've made a while. Is this a hot take here that Cypher is the off-tank of... Valorant. What in the? I mean, do you know, do, 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 do you know what I mean? I mean, in terms of, did you in terms bring of, that up? We're talking I about mean, Envy winning the first strength qualifier, and you're like, no, yeah, listen, listen, I listen. agree. Yo, you think Cypher's the off tank of hit me Valorant? Out, hit me out, hit me what, out, hit me out. By the way, I'll hear you out. What are you thinking about this uh, Mediterranean citrus? I mean, what? it smells nice. Thank you. Is like that it. LSD that you're... Uh, no, <laughs> listen, listen. Okay, here's, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they play the same role in the team, but I think that there's so much armchair analysis in Valorant from people who are like looking at the top fraggers and the statistics to try and decide who the best players are mm. that... Yeah. Cypher is a role that is more so than any other role. Uh, I mean, kind of the same with Killjoy, that is very much like the eye test. You need to see the general play style, how they play mm. in the team, and their, their kind of game sense and understanding of how to play in scenarios and situations. Uh, very similar to kind of like the way off tank is in Overwatch, where there's not many statistics that you can really point towards in an off tank player to see them being good. It's, 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 it's the role that the armchair analysts will never be able to define it, unless they watch like, the games, which they never do. This is like, a, you know, you're so close to making like a good point. This point is excellent. And then you just, and then you just papige it up. In what way? Like the, the, like what I agree with you is <laughs> people actually need to watch the games and not, uh, you know, look at the stats and then be like, yeah, this guy's good. That guy's bad. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Sure. Uh, uh, would I say uh, Cypher is the the off-tank <laughs> underrated role? No, I would just say don't be an armchair uh, no, analyst. Josh, you agree with me, don't you? I, you know what's annoying Josh is... Josh can't throw his other armchair analysts under the bus. He can't, throw, really, can't throw them under the I bus. I really didn't want to agree with you, but then you started making sense. Yeah. <laughs> that was the thing. He started to make sense as he, as he moved know, further away it. from his... As he moved further away from his original oh. point, he started to make yeah. sense. I mean, like, the phrase that was... is Cypher the off-tanker, I mean, just fucking end me. That sentence yeah. makes no sense. But when you frame it as... Is Cypher the role that is the least understood um, by looking at stats? Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think so. I, I was having this conversation about Rebo from Moon Raccoons, actually. And yeah. someone in my chat said something like, uh, Rebo is the sixth worst Cypher when it comes to KD or something like that. <laughs> the, someone in the chat had found I'm that analyst. stat. But probably because they were confused as to why I rated Rebo quite highly. But when you watch him, he's got really nice looks and he gets so much information for his team and his camp placements are good. And like, mm -hmm. even, if the, even if the actual end result fragging on the stat board doesn't look good, he is having a large impact for but, his team. Well, I think as yeah. well, the thing with, uh, with Cypher is that you're not, you're not creating like a consistent flow of frags for your team. It's not like playing a duelist role where you're taking the entries and you're constantly in, in, in fights. 
the the value in frags that comes from cipher is your ability to play out 1vx situations holding down a bomb site when all the pressure is on you to come up with key uh frags when when the other team is pushing your site or it's playing uh, post-plant situation clutches where you have to rotate over to other sides. Those are two frequent scenarios that ciphers find themselves in. And I think that the first is really what makes an excellent cipher player. If you have the ability to be locking down a, a site when all the pressure is on you, when the execute's coming in, and if you have to navigate your way through all of the utility that the attackers are using to find the good angles for yourself to not only try to at least trade one for one, but stay alive as long as you can. I mean, that mm -hmm. is really where the the mastery of Cypher comes in, I feel, at least when you're, when you're watching on the defensive half. And that's one of the things that FNS is so good at. I mean, he will find consistent multi-frag situations. And maybe if it's only a few of those in a game, it's not going to result in him being 27 and 15 at the end. But the rounds, he, I mean, he will straight up win his team rounds. <laughs> Also, not everybody can finish with a tremendous KD. Like, it's just not possible. Uh, somebody is going to play that <laughs> yeah. role where, I mean, not every team is just blowing other teams out and everybody's going to finish with a, a great KD. I think it's one of the issues that, like, that becomes the stat or number that a lot of people talk about because uh, it's so, it is so readily displayable, like, on the scoreboard. Yeah. Uh, same thing kind of happened in uh, Call of Duty. Everybody would just look at the KD, and then it was like, well, this guy's good, that guy's bad. Look at his KD. It's like, well, they play completely different roles. They play different positions. Uh, the one guy is baiting for the other guy constantly. Uh, right. and, like He doesn't get any kind of yeah. props on the scoreboard for that. And then all of a sudden, all the players with the low KD are the scapegoats uh, for whatever reason. Like, uh, it's just not the way to look at it. I, I think when we uh, did a video for First Strike Preview, Josh and I with like a Cloud9, like one of the things that we highlighted with 10s is like just the amount of damage per round, right? Uh, it's just like the consistent like amounts of damage you're able to pump out, not even whether it's KD, just putting damage down on players. I mean, that that is something that you can look at that is a little bit more tangible than like, well, what's their KD? Uh, that kind of represents like, okay, like, are, are is the cypher putting like a ton of damage down on players as they enter the site maybe not finishing off yeah. you know, two players and dying but doing enough damage that the rest of the team follows up and is able to clean it up i think uh as it as time goes on hopefully we move away from the the kd over everything so cypher is the diva of valorant <laughs> That's not right. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Fuck sure. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, just because yeah. I, I wanted to just shut up. I mean, yeah. this is the uh, th this is how uh, you know people people get into power. They just kind of talk for a while, and then uh, you know eventually power. everybody just gives up and it's just like ah, well, Brand you know, the filibuster. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. I what I was really impressed with watching Envy was the um, the level of the level of aggression and confidence they have when they're defending yeah. and the high level of individual skill that goes along with that. The addition of food and crashies, crashies has gone so well onto this Sova role and just provided enormous amounts of firepower to this team. And then food, when he's playing either of the roles, but normally when he's playing the duelist, loves to push aggressively on these maps on defense. And he's got the individual ability to be able to work with it as well. well this was he's nasty. not really playing the Phoenix that often. He's mostly playing the, uh, 
the well, he is playing Phoenix some of the time actually, but he's he's constantly trying to uh, push and get information for his team rather than just uh, running in and hiding in spots yeah. or um, yeah. or or not being synced up with the rest of his team. There's a clear flow and a plan, and the addition of food and crashes has elevated the individual skills so much on this team, and it just fits with their style wonderfully. Yeah, MV equal good, cool. Um, <laughs> well, here's a question for you though: Where are they ranked currently in North America? <laughs> I was just going to bring it up. I was like, but uh, at the me, uh, me, you and why are trying to rank the top, what five teams or top eight teams. I think we were going for yeah. uh, the other night. Uh, I, I think the top five is going to look drastically different after first strike than it did uh, going into oh, yeah. it. But I also currently think right uh, now, huh? Currently right now though, I, I feel like it's, disingenuous to not rate Envy at least in the top two. Top two? In the top two? Top two? I give them third. I mean, the problem yes, is... I think it's disingenuous, is it not? I mean, is well... It, is I it, mean, you would have them above Cloud9 then. Yeah, because that's the real question, isn't it? it Actually, is, maybe you would have to put them above Cloud9 because... I mean, Envy did beat Renegades, but they, I mean, they lost to Cloud9 in, in the first open yeah. qualifier but they made it to the finals cloud nine in this one went out in the round of eight <laughs> losing to renegades who I, envy beat i, I think but then would. envy beat i mean i mean they d destroyed 100 thieves but I, how I serious think was it's that reasonable game? to have envy top two i think yeah. that that would be classed for most people as a pretty hot take to have them yes. above c9 and tsm well i mean not tsm i i do believe that they're either third or second i <laughs> If you if you take the last three months, which I think is normally the the kind of pool that you want to be drawing from, like anything before Pop Flash, to me is almost ancient history at this point. Like maybe you could include mm -hmm. the Phase Invitational if you really wanted to, but in all of those tournaments, Envy has outperformed Cloud Nine. Like they they beat them in Phase, they lost to them in the upper semis of uh, Pop Flash, but they actually beat them in the lower final and ended up progressing further to the grand final. And then they uh, they lost to them here in the open qualifier, but then finished much further than them in the uh, in the closed. I, I do think it's... Uh, yeah, I mean... I think there's a very good argument for saying that they're top two at the moment yeah. behind Sentinels. So Cypher is the diva of Valorant. <laughs> Uh, now we're taking away that one. Uh, 100 Thieves are another team that we need to talk about a little bit, actually. 100 Thieves, the team that, in my opinion, have the highest potential, I think, out of any team right now in North America. That's my take. Yeah. I don't even give a fuck if it's hot, cold, lukewarm, whatever. I mean, Get it down your neck because yeah, I'm here that to was stay. A, that I was the lamest take lukewarm. you've had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, hot, Very cold, lukewarm, lukewarm I don't take. care. Does it, don't, don't care. But it's I think true. It's true. It's lukewarm because it's correct. It's yep. boring. Everybody knows they have a lot of potential. But, Ugh, but the 100 Thieves fans <laughs> are like, but... no, they're the best team in the world. Oh. And then the, uh, the, the, the fucking uh, the Sentinels and TSM fans are all like, no, they're dog shit. And, uh, you know, we are the, uh, we're the middle ground. We're the reasonable people. I'm so confused people. as to what Hugo is doing right now. Sorry? Hugo, Hugo came, he opened up this door to come into this room, mm -hmm. sat down, chucked a bunch of kibble out of his mouth onto the <laughs> ground, and then sat here and stared at me. And then now he's eating it. 
put, he put thinks the you camera look on a it. Bit skinny. You need uh, you need some kibble to fatten yourself <laughs> put, up. Put, put, put the camera. Yeah, put the camera on him, man. Eat huh? the kibble, bro. Put the camera on him. Hey, come on. No, no, no. Move you your camera. Oh, I Not can't because it's attached to a light. Oh, mm. well. Sag. Yeah, big sag. No pets for the people on this episode. I don't think Nemi cares. Oh, he's just chasing what? the dog around the room. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be able to pick him up. 100 Thieves, they got the 2 0 yeah. over TSM, one of the best matches of the qualifiers. Yeah. Uh, God damn, this was a good match to watch. We saw yeah. everything top to bottom. We saw the raw potential of 100 Thieves and how far they could go in this one. Yeah. God damn. Some major takeaways from this. I mean, you've got one initial point here, uh, Josh, in the runner show that you have created, your mastermind, which is talking about Steel's creative killjoy spots. I guess that's one of the first takeaways we can talk about. Um, God, Josh would put a thing about Steel's killjoy spots yeah. as a little sub-note for the topic. Little, little killjoy <laughs> simp on uh, I am. I really am. I, I thought... Just big picture, though. It was super impressive to see 100 Thieves rebound after their 0-2 loss to TSM and come yeah. back and 2-0 them. What, what, what was mm -hmm. that, like two days later? Yep. Uh, actually, no, it was well, quite it significant. It was like later. a week. Well, not a week. It was week, nine but... days later. Oh, it was a week. Okay. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was I a mean, week later. The biggest difference visually was just the level of confidence from the 100 Thieves players. Yep. I mean, it was a stark difference to how scared they were playing against TSM initially. They were confident in taking the aim duels, and they were winning the aim duels. I mean, on, on Haven, I fully expected that to go the way of TSM. They have looked spectacular on that map. It has looked like their best map throughout all of First Strike so far. I thought we were going to get a map three, but no, 100 Thieves denied it, and that was really the biggest surprise to me. And there is something to be said about Dicey just popping off in that game uh actually just dominating tsm yeah dominating wardell in Fine. the in the there's a, jet, there's a v jet battle there's a dicey tweet cut if you want to try and find that one where he just posts his eight and zero eight over uh, yeah. zero record against wardell uh and wardell just responding with some uh insecure shit um <laughs> the uh no, no way the yeah I mean, what Dude, dude, some of these some of these players need to just quit social media. I'm not even kidding. Or just like take a break uh, from it, you know? Listen. I think uh a hundred thieves though, like you mentioned, they they have where where you kind of have those doubts potentially about sentinels like moving forward and like you you don't know which sentinels to expect. Uh it kind of gets lost like that this is really like their first go at like tournament play in valorant like they didn't have yeah. this like long like run up before uh first strike as a team they're really just scrimming uh but i believe they're all at the hundredth east facility here in la uh being yeah, able to be around each other uh some more uh mm -hmm. and i think you see that in combination with probably some uh coaching sessions strategy sessions uh there, there's the tweet. Yep, there it is. Uh, uh, in their off time, I think you definitely see this team uh, accelerating towards that peak that we think they can hit at a really fast rate. Yeah. I am not sure whether we've seen another team have a performance like this in their first tournament. I mean, it does make sense uh, because they are like uh, supposed to be a super team. They picked up two people who uh, we already know. I can, I can think of one. Who? Uh, immortals. Yeah. When they picked up shot up. Yeah. I suppose. Uh, yeah. 
Because they did pretty well if we're considering a hundred thieves to be a new team, then you have to consider Immortals. I think when they picked up three new players. Do you consider oh. that like were you considering like the caliber of Team Josh here or like like yeah, what you expected? I, yeah. Yes, but I'll accept Immortals. You know, because they play around a, a similar level for sure. They'd be cloud and nine. And box. Anbox is Anbox, the, I was going to say. I was gonna, yeah. You know what? I was going to say Anbox, but I don't think that's a good pick because they didn't actually... They beat Cloud9 in a BO1, but they didn't beat a uh, like a top four team in a BO3. No, um, I mean, this This is a spectacular performance from 100 Thieves. I was just thinking it might even be incomparable in the rest of Valorant, um, but it's, it's not quite. It's not quite. Also, I suppose it was like G2 straight off the bat was just dominating everybody as well. But over in, over in NA, most of the top teams that 100 Thieves is now playing alongside had a growth period. You know, yeah. Cloud9 looked shaky for a long time. Sentinels looked shaky when they first started and needed time to develop. The same could be said about TSM as they went through a bunch of different amateur tournaments at the beginning when they were called Mouse Spaz or something. So... It's it is incredibly impressive, but also the reason that I'm so hyped about 100 Thieves is that they don't look like a finished product yet. No. They still look like they're really putting shit together. And when you're having when you're beating TSM with a week's prep, and you still don't look like a finished team, you still look like you have so much room to grow. That's the that's the really exciting thing for me. Yeah, because this team really can reach peaks up there with the best teams in na yeah i mean I, they have the potential to be the best team in na but certainly yep. at the very least top three if not i think they should end up in the top two i mean the, the again this is there are three rosters in na that i think really stand out for how well-rounded they are in terms of every player providing an extreme amount of value and that's uh, you know, Sentinels, obviously, and I think Envy are pretty much there as well. And 100 Thieves. Everyone on 100 Thieves is just a really solid player. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, obviously, Hiko has shown a high level of proficiency with the Sova utility. I think Asuna has been a lot more consistent on this roster. That was one of my question marks coming in because I think towards the end of his Immortals tenure, specifically when he was on the Flash Duelists on maps like Haven playing the Phoenix, he was not really at his best it was always when he was on his raise but i think he's been pretty consistent on everything at the moment dicey was a little bit hit or miss in, in the uh open qualifier but in this closed qualifier he was just rolling he's i think he looked like the best opping jet in this closed qualifier period i don't think any other jet was really getting as much value from using the op as he was um and then Steel just looked... I mean, Steel was <laughs> destroying in games, and it was based entirely on intelligent positioning and excellent timings, playing around the utility to find kills. It wasn't just raw aim. I think Nitro, Nitro played okay. I think Nitro was better in the open qualifier, but overall, I mean, the team is just... They're, they're so good individually. Yeah, I think they all had standout moments, right? Yeah. I was really impressed of how quickly Hiko had picked up over, to be honest. Yeah, I mean the guy. The guy has still got it. I, it was always the fucking the meme. I feel like when he entered Valorant, <laughs> people were like, "Oh, the clutch god is back!" You know, <laughs> like yeah. when Hiko was running. I mean, that was one of the things he was always known for was being fucking ice in the veins whenever he was in the clutch. Um, but I mean, it's so true, isn't it? Like he was in so yeah. many one v two, one v three scenarios as the silver player because the he style in, he plays. He was in fifty nine. 1vx scenarios the next highest 
is when I looked it up, uh, it was higher than that. on twenty seven, and that's because oh, oh, sorry, no, it's Crashy's on twenty eight. When I looked it up, it was higher than that. So when oh, I was well, looking, that's just from close qualifier, not even from, from close open. qualifier. I looked just at like from the, the close um, qualifier. I think the the sample size I took to did a little bit of the open calls as well. Basically, just the just the the ending of the open qualifiers, basically. Sure. And in terms of the top twenty players, Hiko had been in like seventy one clutches. The next highest being like sixty four, oh, yeah. but then he there was, was a stark mm. drop off. Like I just he, ran the numbers the way that you did. It's eighty nine. Yeah, it's gone up. It only have gone up. And and it like he, it, the amount of clutches that he actually wins as well is just ridiculous considering the amount that he's in. Yeah. Um, it's 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 absurd it's absurd the guy uh that's the kind of play style he plays right is the uh, i'm gonna play for maximum value out of my utility essentially sova's kind of like that where the longer you stay alive the more value you're gonna get because it means yeah. you can get statistically speaking Absolutely. more recon arrows out uh you can give your team more information you can you know, play for the retakes more effectively but he he's pretty monstrous with the shock darts with the clutch with everything yeah uh, a really good player that's that's one of the main talking points aside from the fact that this entire team individually is so skilled mechanically the other one being josh your favorite talking point killjoy steel so yeah. good steel <laughs> did i mean there were a bunch of maps where steel didn't have very much impact in terms of his fragging and then there was a few maps where he just read his opponents like a book and yeah. destroyed them and even when he doesn't get the frags he's still providing a lot of um impact to his team because his killjoy setups are really creative they provide a lot of information to his team he can lock down sites pretty effectively so even the games where he's getting rolled and bottom fragging he's still i think he's still one of the best killjoys that we've seen in the tournament yeah. you know you could argue that he's the best killjoy um but i think that is still a bit of a debate uh but th there was a game against it was actually this game 100 thieves versus tsm and it was on ascent, and he was just finding the most beautiful lurks through um, everything that TSM were doing, pushing down mid, exploiting them on different sites, and annihilating them. He was playing almost like Nitro's role, where normally <laughs> Nitro is the lurker, um, but Nitro had taken a step back and kind of given that space to Steel instead. And Steel's read of what TSM were going to do was immense. I think he's such a smart player. It's really fun to watch him play as well. Because he's, I don't know, he's, he's so smart, but he's also, um, it, he describes it as being ratty where he'll just work <laughs> through all of the smokes and fucking like a little rat crawling through the sewers. He'll pop out of a, a smoke and blap yeah. you in the head. And then he's back into his little <laughs> crawling hole. But he, he really does play like that. And it's, it's a really fun style to watch. It's very tense. Um, and yeah, he, the, the thing that I added into the show to talk about specifically was his killjoy alt usage because he had these interesting placements of alts. I'll try and find you the clip of the one on Ascent as well, where they they were only seen in North America, at least as far as I've seen them. I've, I've watched a lot of us from other regions. I've never seen these Killjoy turret, uh, sorry, Killjoy, well, actually turret placements as well. He had a turret placement above screens on split yeah. so that it shoots you from the top, like above the door. Yeah. I, I don't even know how he, how he got it up there, but... Um, it prompted somebody to tweet at them afterwards, calling them 100 gimmicks. I think that was Shinobi. Yeah. And then he also had a Killjoy alt placement on Ascent that was above a door again that he had like, he turned yeah, around and jumped and smacked it on top of a lamp. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of those Killjoy alts being placed in yeah. 
peculiar locations. But what was crazier was actually like teams understanding that that was where Steel was placing it. Oh yeah, because that was the thing because... when he when he put it on that lamp <laughs> on Ascent A, they, it just got instantly red by the sova Instantly sova like, yeah. just right yeah, onto the know. lamp. It's it, it's I've peculiar. Put, I've, I've put Mixwell's tweet in our Discord, Kurt, if you want to pull it up, uh, because this is this is Mixwell. He plays for G two, which is a team that's normally pretty well prepared and knows a lot of stuff. And I know that Mixwell watches a bunch of other regions as well. Yeah. And he tweeted. Is this Killjoy ult allowed? And if you if you wind it back to the beginning and try and slow it down quite a bit so that people can really tell what's happening here, it swaps over to his perspective, and he's already clicked the button to use the ult right now. So even though Steel lands on the floor, it actually hits that like lamppost that you just saw in the previous frame. You might be able oh. to see just the tip of it up there. Like, just It's yeah. that lamp. Yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> he lands on that and puts it down. Now, what's incredible is that the Cutler, who has the Soverall, reads the minimap and actually pre-fires that location because yep. he must have seen it in scrims before. Yeah. And if you see it on the minimap in that doorway, no one's going to put it on the floor in the doorway, are they? Yeah. So it must <laughs> be in that high ground. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's really it's interesting. It's a sick spot, though. Yeah, these these innovations of Killjoy tech is uh, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. This is the kind of shit that you pull out in your platinum rank games, and it will actually put you an entire division higher. And then when they fix it, you're just gonna drop like a stone. You know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. kind of uh, it's kind of wild. Yeah, the, but yeah, hundred thieves, massive potential. I want to see him. I want to see them go far. You know, kids got potential. What can yeah. I say? Uh, Cloud9 are a team that uh, that didn't actually have that great of a showing, all things considered, because they didn't qualify for the main event, did they? Which mm. is just so hard to believe, yeah. because, yeah. I mean, I, I thought that they were looking like the best team in the qualifier when we were watching them, and even yeah. in that final game that they lost to Renegades, it wasn't like they were playing terribly. It was just small mistakes on, on the first map on Split, just a few rounds where they really outthought themselves, but those few crucial rounds made the difference. And then on the next map, um, I can't remember exactly which map it was. Uh, what was it? It was Ascent was next, right? Yeah. And on Ascent, it was just a, a case where within their attacking half, they just didn't properly adapt to Renegades in time. They just kept hitting B over and over, and it just wasn't working. They weren't putting enough focus onto uh, Cat or trying to push into the grass area. It was just these really small things that resulted in them losing the games. They were so close. They didn't look all that bad. They looked fine. Renegades were playing excellently as well. Um, and I, I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to believe because, they, I mean, Cloud9 to me looked like the best team in the tournament. I thought they were going to go all the way in this one for sure. I mean, that is a hell of an upset. Renegades yeah. have a huge amount of upset potential because their players are skilled and they play a hyper aggro kind of style, like constantly pushing everywhere on the map. And they, they were pushing all over the place on their ascent defense. And then on split, when they are on attack, they push everywhere again. So, like, they're able to rack up five rounds on split attack, and then their defense was really good as well because it's super active. And yeah. teams like Cloud9 tend to struggle with that a little bit. 
And they also managed to just trade tens every single time that he was in a fight. They never let tens survive in order to go and do his thing. I don't know whether that was a specific game plan. It didn't seem like it, but it could have been. But it just seemed like in the moment, Every time Tens would get a kill, it would get traded out by somebody on Renegades. They would always be right there to be able to reply to him. And so he ended up finishing the game with just a very normal 41 and 42. He didn't, he was like the third highest fragger for his team. He actually went, you know, minus one overall in the series. So no Tens in this game, plus some strategic errors, plus a really dangerous upset team. And they end up getting not even into the main event, despite yeah. being arguably the best performing team over the course of the entire thing. It was, uh, what did you say, Brandon? I was going to make a point saying what a weird world it would be if Cloud9 didn't qualify for the main event. I mean, it would be. Uh, I mean, you look at some of the teams that we've talked the most about going into First Strike, there's yeah. a chance a lot of them don't make it into the main event. Uh, it's, it is quite wild. Uh, the Ascent game is definitely one that's, uh, worth going back and watching. I remember we watched it when, uh, uh Relics had the, uh, uh, the result and uh, they were just hiding in in hell and he had no idea uh, never actually got it off uh, Randy oh, Savage yeah, had a good round. map yeah yeah uh, I, I think to what Josh was saying uh, and, and I think something that we will probably talk about a little bit more as kind of Valorant moves on in its life cycle is these teams that have been put together that have really well rounded uh, you're starting to see some of the teams at the beginning where you, know, you have like one like big like player like a Wardell or a Tens. Uh, they're gonna struggle, I think, as time goes on against teams like Renegades, like Envy, uh, if they don't get other players to like step up and kind of take some of that pressure off of those big name players we've talked about for so long. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you can't you can't get by with. Uh, I mean, look, since the, the operator is still effective on Jet, but it's not to the point where it was, where, you know, you just, just run around and win the game, uh, you're going to need some type of different uh, action to be able to win, and you're going to need a more uh, holistic team effort, where I think uh, I think you're going to have to see teams. Like, I thought Relics uh, played uh, good uh, during the games that we saw. Uh, but obviously you're going to need much more than that when you have these young teams that play fast, play aggressive. I mean, just look at this push from Renegades. There's yeah. a minute 33 on the clock. They're smoked in. Winsome is such an exciting raise to watch. His mobility it. is yeah. so good. Just satcheling in. Retro on the jet is just... I mean, the team just plays fearlessly. We were making this comparison all weekend, but it, it is a very Brazilian style of Valorant. It is, they are it's, the most yeah. Brazil-like team in NA right now. And I do want to give a lot of credit to Renegades because they seem like the kind of team that since the beginning of them being put together, they've only made one roster change, which was adding Retro on the Omen initially, like a couple months ago. And I mean, Renegades look to me like a grind oh, no. team. Uh, I mean, that's tragic. But they, they, they are a team that plays in every single tournament. I mean, it, it looks like they yeah. are going really hard. I see their players constantly playing in, in like the pro pugs. I mean, it, they look like a team to me that are really trying to go after it. They're really trying to improve. They are really practicing hard. And aside from that, I think it's so interesting to see them as a testament to the importance of roles in this game. Because they made 
one significant role swap moving retro onto the jet. He, he was picked up as their omen, and he looked like a really skilled player on the omen, but switching him to the jet has just unlocked this team. I, I, yeah. I mean, it, it really is. It really does show how crucial it is to have your players on the right roles. I mean, they have leveled up in a significant way. I mean, you pointed this out, Josh, but it was like two, two three weeks ago where they got last in their own tournament. And now yeah. they qualified for first strike. <laughs> I mean, it's a wild yeah. turnaround. Yeah, the the aggression that they play with is overwhelming for teams. And the fact that you've got Retro and Winsome who are hypermobile entry fraggers that are both putting up like 0.8 to 0.9 KPR, that's enormous, enormous kind of fragging to be able to deal with. The, the pressure is huge if you try and actually have someone anchor the site. You saw in that final round clip that we showed that it was actually Tens was opping in the site. He was holding from Cat and he went into site to try and kill them as they entered. I, I think part of the reason that Renegades are winning these games, though, is that they're getting disrespect by their opponents. Yeah. They, the, I saw some tweets from people being like, oh, Renegades, just go A, just go B, just go A, just go B. They're, they're, not, really, they're not really getting why the Renegades... Uh, strats are good and they're failing to adapt effectively to it as well. Like no. if you wasn't oh, Shinobi taking the piss though. I mean, maybe it was Shinobi because taking the piss. Wasn't it? But somebody said that about another team. I, they they said go A go B, wasn't it? Was it? Is that not what he's referencing? But if it works, who cares? But uh, I don't no, no, know. I, I mean, I think Shin the 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 person who was saying this about Renegades was Shinobi, right? Thing. Oh, was it? Yeah, he tweeted like "Go A, go B." I think, but I think that right. was in reference to another tweet that somebody made um, about another team. Maybe I'm thinking, maybe right. I'm correct. No, maybe I've misunderstood. Know. That could be very possible. But when I watch Renegades play, it feels like a lot of the teams just simply don't understand how to play against this style of Valorant. It's very not North American. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of the NA teams play slow. They play defaulty. Uh, and they're trying to, you know, work map control to be able to get uh, in, into a site. Instead, the Renegades are playing, like, extreme Brazilian executes where mm -hmm. they are fast-paced, aggressive, and even on defense, they're going to try and be very fast and aggressive there as well to be able to catch you out. And that, that requires adaptation. But if you look at the game tape of Renegades, the reason that I'm not really convinced that they're going to go and make like top four in the main event for example is that i think if you watch the game tape you'll be able to come up with answers to what they're doing to a much higher degree than people are now i think the people yeah. were caught unawares by a team that they weren't expecting to do as well that they didn't have as much game tape on because this was their first big tournament with the roll swaps where they're actually performing well and they they got caught out by it but against yeah. Uh, I, when you when you know what they're going to run, you should be able to deal with it better. I'm not yeah. saying you're going to be dealing with it 100%, but you're going to be able to deal with it better than most of these teams did. In the Call of Duty world, uh, it would be referred to, this is a team that just goes out there and hits shit. They just pick a site, <laughs> they, they they say, fuck it, we're going to execute, let's hit this shit. And then they go, yeah. then they do it. Uh, but, but it's a style that, you know, Brazilian teams use in Valorant. Uh, and I wonder, I wonder how much of the, uh, like, obviously the regions haven't played each other yet, but I wonder how much, like, the coaching staffs from these teams in NA are watching stuff like uh, Korea, watching stuff like Brazil, and trying to incorporate yeah. some of it into their games. Oh, better yet. I'm, I'm really watching interested, because uh... Renegades actually just got some new coaches, too. Yeah, I, yeah. Wonder, I wonder if some of them have kind of looked at some of what they've seen in the other regions and say, hey, you know, maybe our team isn't... Uh, 
isn't equipped to play a style that the rest of North America is, but look at how fucking uh, everybody in these other regions is playing. Maybe we can kind of recreate some of that magic over here, and maybe we view that as the style of play. Uh, I think uh, as coaching evolves, we'll see that, but I wonder if it's happening now. Watch Sideshow Gaming on YouTube. <laughs> True. Yeah. Pull out, pull I, out the info. I, I actually why, do. Why have an organization spend money on a coach when you can watch Plat Chat Valorant? <laughs> True, actually. <laughs> Number one podcast in America. I, yeah. I do want to give a bit more credit to Renegades, though, actually, because it's not just their executes. Their post-plant play is so good. Their rotations in the post-plants to take crucial map control. Yeah, they have good understanding It's so that, good. And... Uh, further than that, their in-the-moment decision-making as a team is so fast and so decisive. No one hesitates. I mean, even if... I, I don't know how good they'll end up being over the long term and in the main event, but I, I think that even if teams watch this, watch back the game tape and they come to an understanding of how to counter their executes, I, I feel like Renegades have so much else going for them that they can further adapt as well. And I don't know oh, yeah. if that'll take them yeah. into a position where they'll be like top four or something, but I do think that this team actually has a lot going for it. It, it was, there, were a, there was a lot more to them than just the good executes for me. Yeah. I, I was really impressed. Yeah, they, they are my most fun team to watch at the moment in North yeah, America. Uh, may, sure. may, actually, mm. maybe behind 100 Thieves because the clutch is just so intriguing <laughs> to watch because that's just like, that's yeah. just so fun but yeah to me like winsome and renegades are, are an incredibly fun team to follow in north america right now and uh yeah they they do have a lot going for them i i think it it bears mentioning as well that most teams couldn't play the style that renegades are playing because their decision making is just shite when the tempo gets increased yeah. they just fall to pieces which is why the Whereas, style works well against those yes. teams right yeah, absolutely. Because as soon as you get the pace turned up, you have to make decisions much quicker. And they other teams fall to pieces. Uh, Cloud9 did yeah. it a couple of times as well, where if you put really fast defensive aggression out there, the Renegades had a round in this game, actually, where they Solveralted um, straight off the bat and Winsome just pushed mid, just pushed Catwalk. And he caught multiple players in mid and they just rinsed Cloud9. And it was that, like, Cloud9, when they're attacking, don't feel like they can do anything because they just have to wait for Renegades to push into them. Uh, it's it's spectacular to watch, and it's, yeah, it is beautiful coordination. Some fun Valorant. That's sick as well, Being just retro. Predicting tens and bopping him. Yep, pretty stuff. A pretty, uh, god damn, I can't talk. Let's talk about T1 <laughs> and complexity instead. Uh, two teams that... Uh, <laughs> two teams that... Uh, I think T1, honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. Listen, I'll break out the emergency glass. He's going to say it. Bro, your hot takes have not been hot at all today. You've, 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 you've hyped up every hot take, and then, well, actually, your, your takes haven't been hot. <laughs> what about been Diva stupid. was weird? They've just been stupid. Yeah, the Diva one was dumb. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the other one was all right. They, they, they're not hot, though. What are you going to say? Oh, I'm going to make a hot take. T1's pretty good. No, it's not a hot yeah, take. Okay. Never said it was a hot take. Okay, well, what are you going to say? You I mean, you were building it up. You said, said you said you were going to say it, and then you paused. I'm going to say it. Let it breathe. Yeah, and, then, and then you made it that stupid face that you make when you're about to say something dumb. Pause, champ. <laughs> I'm going to say it. Listen, T1 have been improving. 
I mean, wow, what wow. an absolutely wow. shock. They've been getting better. Uh, yeah, it's a good jumping point off. Yeah, but I'm gonna be real I mean, with you. I kind of, I had a, I had T1 kind of written off almost. Wow. Uh, I, th I didn't, okay. I didn't expect them because it seemed like they were stuck in their ways for so long. I'm not saying we saw the, <laughs> them fucking shift mountains, okay? But we did see them look at least like they were improving over the course of the tournament. No, they did look good. Which uh, is which is a better sign out of T1 because otherwise, I mean, yeah. Um, and Complexity yeah. was a team that I actually think were gaining a ton of traction over the course of this tournament. They were they were having some. So, I, did they have a couple of upset wins? I can't even remember. Yeah, um, yeah they did. Who was yeah. it against? Consider them upset wins. They uh, beat NRG at the beginning. You know, I mean, you know uh, the two, yeah, upset, uh, they actually yeah. knocked NRG out. I wouldn't really consider that an upset win though. But Not then really they they beat win. T1 and Gen G during yeah. the close qualifying. Yeah. Gen G, I think, was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. These these are two teams though with with some. I think T one I had written off, but they looked like they were making some changes, which is uh, which is nice to see. Um, but complexity as well, I think, is the one that I'm a little bit more excited for. Um, but they have locked in at least a close qualifier spot for next two weeks. Two weeks time. Yep. Two weeks time. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks. Yeah. They. Uh, they T one. They. Uh, so I think a lot of the stuff that we talked about with T1, uh, I think you can still make the case is that they do still play very slow. Uh, I think the one thing they showed that we probably doubted a little bit is like more on terms of like the individual gun skill kind of aim being able to take those fights. Like when they played really uh, fast and loose and like aggressive, they were able to make that playstyle work. Uh, they they were actually doing a really nice job uh, being able to like pick up kills uh, consistently. Uh, one of the funniest things I saw all week was uh, in uh, Josh's chat. Whenever Spido is in a new spot, they would say he's unlocked that spot of the map, like he had fog of war and he couldn't <laughs> couldn't go there. Spider unlocks tree. Spider unlocks a like. Uh, but no, I think uh, I think T1, like, would I say they have that same kind of ceiling as like 100 Thieves? No, uh, but I think maybe we were too fast to write this team off straight away. Uh, I mean, played. I don't think that right, we did write them off, though. No. They just were playing really badly at the beginning because they were playing a slow style that was very formulaic, didn't have any... Um, didn't have any like utility combos to be able to take map control and then their executes weren't that great either but what they've done over the course of the last two weeks while first strike has been going on is that they've kept their slow play style but they've built that utility combo stuff out they now have some nice little mini executes to be able to take control of areas you can see it with azk when he plays the breach on on bind you can see they set up for a bunch of stuff when they play ascent as well on the defense they have like a couple of they, they have a number of set plays that they've implemented just over the course of two weeks um and they have uh what was my third point i can't remember what my third point was skadoodle's anyway. good yeah true yeah but, yeah, that's a hot take. I do think that uh, um, they 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 had they did have rounds where they were increasing the tempo a bit as well. But I think one of the most noticeable things, sort of akin to uh, Hundred Thieves, you could just tell that they started finally playing with a bit of confidence. They weren't shying away from taking the duels. They were actually taking fights, and they were winning them because. They are good players. Like it's almost as if they had to, yeah. to to realize, like, oh shit, we are good. And then they started actually taking fights and winning them. 
Um, mm. and, and that made a pretty significant difference, I, I, I think, as well. Um, but yeah, they, they were improving throughout the tournament, and then it culminated in a great uh, little last, last day. I mean, beating Genji and then, uh, you know, uh, uh, taking the map off Sentinels yeah. on that bind of all maps is pretty surprising because we have seen T1 play bind, I mean, I think more than any other map at this point, this new iteration of T1. And to beat Sentinels on it after watching them, I mean, really just, you know, struggle for, for a couple of weeks is really cool. It's impressive. It is. Yeah, I mean, they managed to get the win on bind in OT, 15-13. And the reason that they did is because they went 7-0 at the beginning. I mean, Sentinels from then onwards looked like the, the better team. They started to adapt to them. They got better, and they almost took the map back. But that 7-0 start at the beginning was just massive impact, actually, strangely, from Dazed as well, being able to find mm -hmm. first kills a lot when T1 were attacking. And they got the first pick repeatedly. By playing slow-paced styles, by playing their slow-paced style, sure, but also by being able to I kind of catch people out in certain areas on Sentinels. They would catch a solo player in showers, catch a solo player on long, catch a solo player in... Uh, in lamps, for example, just by using good utility to slowly and methodically take control of the map. And that's that's what I did enjoy about T1, is that we went from slow where they didn't do anything. They're literally just looking at an angle to <laughs> they're still playing slowly, but they're taking territory as they play slowly. They're not just they're not just looking at A short. Now they're using an aftershock to be able to push a player out of lamps and setting up on a new angle and very slowly taking position. And the same thing in, in showers. They'll send Dazed or AZK over to showers to help Brax take control of there and catch a player out if they're actually there. Instead of previously, they would just walk Brax in incredibly, excruciatingly slowly over the course of the round. And yeah. it's that makes all the difference in the world. It really does. You've gone from playing CS where you're just a guy with a gun trying to walk into showers to playing Valorant where you're using your teammates to help with the utility you have available to flush a player out and be able to take that map control. It's it's active, good development. It's it's not meteoric improvement, but it's all in the right direction from them. Yeah, And I feel all right about this team. They still have their slow play style, but you know what? That's okay. You can make a slow play style work as long as you take map control over the course of the beginning of the round and then have good site executes. And T1 still don't have the best site executes in the world, but I feel confident now that they will start adding that over time. And I think by the time we get to the next close qualifier, T1 are definitely a team that could make the main event. They yeah. also yeah. could get upset by a fucking anybody as well, but they could make the main event. And that is that is a good situation for them to be in. Top eight, I think, would be impressive for T1, considering how lackluster they looked at the beginning of this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool. Uh, I was just doing some field research on our next topic. So I'm going to skip over the uh, the first strike EU qualifier bracket beginning yeah. today, because we already okay. kind of discussed that yeah, when yeah. we yep. watched... Uh, Guild just get knocked out by Timu's team. Um, but topic after that is that the First Strike Brazil tournament is going to be, or presumably the main event, is going to be played on a LAN environment yeah. with everyone yeah. under the same building um, cool. during COVID. That's an interesting one. 
because uh, I mean, the situation isn't really the same as countries like Korea, where they have kind of a handle on things. It's still, generally speaking, a pretty significant problem. I mean, decided oh, it's a to huge problem. Yeah, I think in they're Brazil? like fourth in the world yeah. or something in Brazil, yeah. right? For COVID cases. And it's, I wonder, it's on a rampage. I wonder what the reasoning is behind it. So I was the field research that I was doing was yeah, okay. I was I opened up Google Maps and I had a look at the size of Brazil compared to other countries. And yep. I, I don't really know what the state of Brazilian infrastructure is in terms of the internet. But could this be a, a thing that they're doing to alleviate potential network problems? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't think so because people from Brazil play against Argentina and stuff all the time. Yes, and like, you, 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 those could be okay. really fucking far away. But I'm trying to justify it, Josh. I'm trying to think of reasons as to why they might be playing this on LAN because I can't see any other reason other than you might be playing on the main event and people's internet, internet uh, infrastructure might not be up to scratch you know what i mean are, uh are yeah. any of the other main events online no we don't know yet i think korea the only announced. one would would be korea in my opinion yeah i i don't know what the reasoning for this is either but i imagine it's that each like riot brazil is a very different entity to riot korea right yeah and it's not like it's one dude at the top making all the decisions these organizations these companies tend to be quite um you know they Silo. delegate yeah yeah they, they split things off which is probably why you have very different formats between the regions as well as very different ways that they're they're run in terms of the administration and that kind of thing so i would imagine that it's just a decision by riot brazil that got greenlit from people on top that they think they can run a safe LAN event whether that's because they have a different cultural like uh, i don't know whether the word fear is the right thing but like caution you know what i mean whether that is just different in Brazil, like the attitude that they have towards the risk involved is different. I don't know. But I, 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 there doesn't seem to be any logical reason that I can come up with why you would why you would risk it to play online. There's obviously not going to be a crowd, but it is still a risk to gather all of your top players together in, in Valorant, I think. Yeah, like, do they have to quarantine for the two weeks before? And then well, how I mean, do they safely... Huh? Qualifiers are going on right now. Right. Not not right now, but they will be starting very soon. And if the main yeah, event is all starting... They actually are already ongoing. The, the open qualifiers are happening constantly for Brazil. Yeah. When are the, are the closed qualifiers happening in like a couple of days then? Is that what I'm thinking? Uh, the closed qualifiers are happening, on, I think, on like the 18th or something like that. I okay, think it's well, in like, like a, a week's time. Fucking, okay, two weeks away. Um, or a week away. Um. But yeah, I, the only justification I can think of it is that they are worried about there being some sort of internet technical issues and then wanting them under the same roof for that reason. The only thing I can think of. Yeah, I, I feel like yeah, they just sure. don't give as much yeah. of a fuck and they just think that they can run it safely if there's no crowd. You know, like there are companies in the US that are doing, you know, stuff that, <laughs> that are functioning because you can get people together safely if you follow enough safety protocols but yeah that presumably they think they can we'll see <laughs> we'll see what happens uh we won't dwell on it too much there you uh, go look at that that's uh that's cases in brazil yeah, yeah. Uh, enormous amounts i mean compared to the us at the moment which is terrifying to say but uh, not as significant compared to the us at the moment uh in terms of the rise in cases per day um 
Yeah, which is... We won't I dwell mean, on this. People uh, people come to our podcast to get away from this kind of shit, so we'll, yeah. uh, we'll but talk you're the about... one who's been dwelling on it. Oh, so move uh, us on. I did actually want yeah. to spend a little time, though, looking at the European bracket just to give cool games for okay. people to watch at you some have, point You have a minute. Bracket. Okay. You have do you have minute. the... We're bringing Do you it have up. the bracket yeah. available? Can we get no. a timer as well, Kurt? <laughs> <laughs> Is that possible? All right. Need more DM at some point in the bracket are going to be facing Prodigy. These are two mm. top teams in Europe. They're not right up there at the top, but they're somewhere near. Prodigy's an agency. They've been rotating through a bunch of different players. You might know them because they used to play with Mixwell and Defran and these kind of people. But their current roster has Happy on it, who's oh. a notorious CS legend. And they're going to be matching up against... Oh. DM in the in the final BO1 to qualify there. So that's the first big That's rough. Big, yeah, that is God, really that's rough. rough. I mean, those are two top 32 teams. 40 seconds. Yeah. Uh, opportunists play against FIFA. That's two French teams that are actually matching up. That's opportunists uh, just beat Gambit. So they're a really decent team within Europe right now, but they're brand new. FIFA is Feroth and Hip and Law, the old hip 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 guys, and they've matched up against each other as well. There's also Heretics just played against Big and knocked them out of the tournament as well, and they're set to be able to continue. Can I interrupt you real quick, Josh? It looks like Feifefe lost. Oh, they've already lost to Isuba. Yeah. yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. Kurt so knows, is... and you don't even know. No, because I yeah, because I looked at these games earlier on. Pressured. This is a twenty tragic bracket. Keep, keep yeah, going. and then at the bottom of the bracket, Giants are going to play against Ricks as well, and those are two definitely like Sorry, top thirty-two teams too. Your Giants Gaming are a, a team from, from uh, Spain, and Ricks have got a bunch of UK players on. Again, they're going to be playing the BO1 in order to qualify, and th that th those are definitely two teams that should make it through. So there's a lot of clashes here I mean, where we're going to get... I mean, we are just definitely going to get upsets, even when we're not expecting upsets, like the loss of uh, Guild and now FFA. Um, there are going to 100% be teams that don't make it through that should just because of how the brackets lined up. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously very tough to seed something like this, but yeah. I mean, those are plenty of top 32 teams that will be going out. It's 32 that move on to the next stage, right? Or, or uh, I think it's, is it 32? Is it 16? Wait a second. I can't but four qualifiers? Mm. Yes, there's four qualifiers. It's a similar setup to Brazil, where there's four yeah, separate right. qualifiers. I mean, it's it looks just... like the top eight from each advance to a playoff. Uh, oh no, there's there is a play-in stage, right? Yeah, there's a. It, it's fucking complex, man. All right, so the way it works is you, um, the top sixteen teams qualify for this open tournament. Okay. The top sixteen then go into the play-in tournament. From the play-in tournament, you then have the... Fuck, I can't even remember, man. I think it's the top four out of the top 16 qualify for the main event. And it's all so, BO1. It's all BO1. I mean, it's yeah, just it's a travesty. It's but this like, is a just... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not really an excuse for a format like this. I mean, this is just... It's not good for... The Anyone. European scene. It's not good for the viewers. Not good for the players. It's just no. uh, there. If there is the one, the one biggest complaint to have about First Strike is the the just ridiculous formats in all these different regions. Uh, 
it's impossible for i mean hell some of the time we're not even sure what the the exactly you know, yeah and and we're we're actually like talking about it weekly and like doing the research this, this on will it. be like, solved though i i have faith in this i think because of the way this coincided presumably this okay so with my knowledge of how gaming companies work in the esports space i don't have knowledge of how riot works internally but i imagine it works quite similar with companies i've worked with in the past and with that being said i think Worlds 2020 probably took a lot of the priority of the esports staff at Riot, right? I think we can all agree on that. Uh, this is this is not really the same. What uh, you mean? What, what you're talking about? Because this is like like how Josh had mentioned. Like this is stuff that is handled by individual yes, yeah, yeah, regions but... and in the in the tournament organizers in these regions. Okay, hear me out though. Hear me out. Okay. The, the, the point I'm trying to make is normally it will be one person who is in charge of maybe the esports operations in Valorant, right? But okay. this is something that's only just recently been booted up. So there's probably going to be a lot of crossover into League of Legends esports and Valorant esports, right? You would assume, one would assume, that that is going you to be the assume, case. You can assume, but I do not believe that is true. But okay, yes, well, I'm going to make assume. assumptions anyway. Right. Uh, okay. the, so, so I'm just trying to basically <laughs> think out we're giving it all this shit about the formats being different but i think it is because there's probably been more agency given to the individual regions than there yeah. will be in the future and that is probably because they are still yeah. in the process of working out how they want to be running this these kind of yeah. systems i mean so but i would just veto a system like this off the bat yes like, i mean you've gotta, you, you would think the, the way the, the delegation usually works is that you still have to run it by somebody above you and when europe has just been shafted with all of these bo1 tournaments for so long like this is just it is objectively the worst system out of all of the other regions uh, the korean region has a point system and you you playing bo1s for the majority of it but i think the final games will be oh three but it's like points allocated based on placement so if you get upset but you still make it deep you still get the points and the reward for doing that which is a much better system the brazilian system is very similar to europe but at least it has a bo3 qualification match at the end where for example giants and ricks would be playing a bo3 opportunists and uh, need more dm and prodigy would be playing a bo3 like all of these teams that where the big ones are actually matching would be BO3 games. Europe is just the shittest out of all of these regions. Just yeah. immediate boom stamp of like it's, fucking it's veto bad. that. It's bad. Yeah. But there are three more open qualifiers. Yeah. Yes. There are three more open yeah. qualifiers. This will give them a good indication of where to seed these teams as well off the back of this. Uh, the seeding should be adjusted going from qualifier A to qualifier B. Uh, yeah, but also that means that Guild is going to have a last place seed. And like also, uh, who else just got upset as well? Fefefe is going to have a last place seed. Like the errors of the previous bracket are now going to continue onwards if you reseed based on that bracket. Well, don't, so it don't you, don't you take into account in some scenarios? Do you not take into account the teams that beat them and how far they go? I, I don't know. The determined is that seeding? The way that you do it? I think you yeah, need, do know. need to you 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 weigh yeah. that in mind at least when you're thinking about seeding is who did they lose to how far did that team go you're, anyway, you're, you're asking a lot of cerebral thinking with, with, from an organiz, yes. from the organizers who made a 512 team bo1 bracket yes it, i'm just also, trying to say all i'm is saying more, is i think it's bad it's don't get me wrong it's yeah. bad but this it's it's not as if it's like two bo1 qualifiers and that's it you know, they, but, there's, there's, but, there's twice as many compared to NA yeah. in terms of the open qualifiers, which does, to an extent, mitigate the fact that it is BO1s. 
sure. to an extent. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's still I mean, fucking terrible because the players are going to be stressed if they don't make it in to like the first open qualifier or the second open qualifier. It's an incredibly stressful process. It's putting unneeded stress yeah. on a lot of these players. Uh, but and yeah, go to, ahead. To give an idea of how this stuff actually happens, uh, just kind of like how Bren was talking about before, typically with the, how this these type of operations happen is uh the european team will kind of reach out uh like like let's say like a european team at riot would reach out to all the tournament organizers and say hey we're having this first strike event here are the things that need to happen how would you run it uh and most likely what they said is it needs to be available to anybody who wants to enter it needs to be free things like that uh there is not really a format that's issued uh and then all of these organizers would say well what can we do uh with this format how would we operate it this and that uh and then they all kind of present a plan and then they just approve of one and then they go out and do it uh what could have happened here is europe the european team like with riot or whatnot could have said you know well, hey we have so many uh people in europe who play who are interested in playing we need somebody who can handle the most amount of teams. Uh, you know, maybe they kind of came back. This organizer said, Hey, we can process, you know, 500 teams a week. Uh, if it's best of one, that sounds great. We can get all these people playing and then they approve it. Uh, that's kind of how this stuff happens. Yeah. It's not really yeah. set up by the, the gaming company. It's really kind of dictated by what the tournament organizers can do and what they're capable sure. of. Yeah, handling. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That's one of the variables, right? Yeah. The point I was making earlier about the, 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 my speculation about the crossover between like yeah. Worlds 2020 was mainly thinking about the lack of unity across formats, right? And I think that's explained as whenever you need a new department to open up, generally speaking, some of that workload will be shared across titles because you want experienced people to kind of lead the charge of it. And if you want your biggest esports product is what? Worlds 2020, that's going to be taking a bit of the priority and probably the wind out of the sails of the first strike qualifier when they're still laying the foundation. You're still trying to set the stage almost for, for the esports scene in Valorant. You know, the game was released earlier this year. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, there... I think what you said is is the most apt, honestly. It's the it's yeah. the uh, it's a hundred percent the the primary variable you need to look at when you're considering what the fuck is going on. And to to, to give a, a bit more context to people who are maybe just getting into the European scene or now for First Strike or, or recently maybe with just the Blast tournament, um, this is extra frustrating for people who've been interested in the European scene for, for a while now because the um, there's been maybe one European tournament that had a great format. Yeah. And meanwhile, in NA, yeah. I mean, if you look, FaZe, great format. Pop Flash, great format. First Strike, great format. And then EU has just been screwed. It's, it's been best time and time for a long It's just time. constant BO1s. Yeah, so this is, I mean, this is extra frustrating to deal yeah. with again. Now it's yeah. like you finally have this giant tournament and it's BO1s again. I mean, it's yeah. uh, honestly, you probably would have saw something like this in NA if you didn't have two different tournament organizers handling it. Uh, you know, now, like UNG obviously has the ability to kind of scale up to know exactly like what's going to go on. They can share stuff with uh, Nerd Street, right? The back and forth. Uh, if it was one company kind of handling all this, that is pretty taxing over a six week period to keep processing, you know. 128 200 teams over and over and over again uh, this stuff is not easy so 
uh, kind of fortunate how things shook out in NA as well. Mm. Uh, there's some more results that are potential upset Rolling. results as well here already in the first round that I just wanted to... I, t- I took a quick look through the bracket after seeing that Fifi Fay had lost. Um, Wave Esports beat Movistar Riders 13-7. I'm not sure whether that's really considered a, a big upset, but Movistar Riders were doing well yeah. in uh, some of the Tier 2 um tournaments they were beating other spanish teams they're a spanish team themselves but they have also been losing to a bunch of other like tier two teams like opportunists and recently giants gaming and a bo1 as well so that's just interesting to note because that was two known teams that clashed early on in the in the rounds um and then the other one is uh team Kezo beating entropic because entropic have been making it deep in a couple of tier yeah. two tier three tournaments recently and uh team Kezo i've never heard of but they they beat them 13 11 over there on uh, on that map so some of these teams uh some of these yeah games are already getting pretty spicy a lot of these losses are like ot or 13 11 kind of games where they end up um coming out with the the loss yeah pretty brutal bbl are playing in the turkish first strike event right mm. yeah yeah, they're, they're yes, they well. are. BBL and uh, Oxygen, who are like the yeah. best Turkish team. Oxygen, yeah. And then Gambit are playing over in CIS as well. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, what else we've got on here is just that essentially the, the Brazilian close qualifiers is going to be starting this Friday. Or starting mm-hmm. on Friday, which presumably will be this Friday. I don't know. Yes, yeah. I think it's the 13th, yeah. It's starting. Okay. I said it was the 18th, but I must have been wrong. It was the 13th, 13th. yeah. And then the Korean quali- closed qualifiers starting a day before that, so the 12th. Yeah. Um, Those so are going to be really good games, though, by the way. So, like, if you're, if you're maybe somebody who doesn't want to watch all of these crazy BO1s, don't worry. Those are already finished over in Korea and in Brazil. We're talking closed qualifiers, the kind of top-level competition that we just saw happen in First Strike over in North America. It's the top 16 teams for both. Actually, the t- the, the fucking formats vary between yeah, both regions. <laughs> it's the best of the regions are going to be fighting against each other. It, yeah. We haven't got quite to the main event yet for every region. That's December 6th to 9th or whatever it is, 3rd to the 6th, whatever it is. But the... The closed qualifiers are also going to be top-level competition. So if you're interested, if you've been um, wanting to watch like Vision Strikers and T1 Korea play and see if they can finally get defeated, then tune into those closed qualifiers over in Korea. And uh, if you're interested in watching, if you've been maybe enjoying Renegades over in First Strike and you want to hear us, like, why do we keep talking over and over in such excited terms about Brazilian Valorant, you can go and check out that tournament as well because I think that's going to be genuinely great. Ooh, this Mediterranean citrus, I'm not really smelling it. I don't it, know. it is a very, yeah, it's a soft fragrance. It's a faint one, you know? It is, I, I, don't, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think I'd recommend it, honestly, as well. Um, to be what honest. about your pumpkin spice latte? Very sugary, can't finish it. I mean, maybe you shouldn't have gone that. <laughs> what is going to, on? Uh, the, 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 the whole set just looks like a mess. What uh, do you mean? A popcorn thing behind Wyatt. He's got a Ninja Turtles cup. There's a Mediterranean candle in the middle. There's a phone behind you guys. There's There's still Overwatch artwork in the background. There's still the Overwatch Overwatch artwork. Uh, What are those books? What are those books, Wyatt? (laughs) What? What are the books behind you about? Uh, The new book of knowledge. 
<laughs> That's what it's called. How general can you get? The new book of knowledge. I think just, there are no specifics there. What's I think that it's book a about? religious it's about book. Yeah. It's a religious book. Just I a think. big old book of knowledge. Yeah. This. Uh, Who's, whose books are those? Modern air combat. That's what we can. <laughs> That's. Jake's been reading tactical books. <laughs> yeah. Modern I, these books be belong to the house before we moved in. Uh, okay. I just left them here, and we've been using that them as kind sense. of like a filler yeah. for the for the set, I suppose. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't really know. Anyway, time to move on to the next uh, segment, the only segment actually that's worth kind of looking at. It's time for Wyatt's Weekly Award. Boom! There you go. Get that away from you. Uh, little, little candle <laughs> yeah. fire. Wyatt's Weekly Award, most prestigious award in all of yeah. Valorant esports thus far, because there isn't really an award like it. So special, yeah. so unique, so amazing. So prestigious. Why yeah. not take it away? This week, the award might shock you. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot. Again, again, so many worthy potential recipients. Uh -huh. Would love to maybe hand it out to someone on Renegades. Maybe Renegades as a whole, right? Um, I think that would be worthwhile. Maybe Envy, of course, winning. But no. This week, I'm going to be giving my Wyatt Award to none other than T1's Dazed. And the reason Ooh. being, and the reason being, we've started to see the improvement come in. Okay. And specifically, that game against Sentinels on Bind, I you could feel it in the air. That's what they call a turning point. Dazed popped off in that game, led T1 to probably their biggest map win that they've gotten yet. They've been improving as a team generally. They'd they'd been improving strategically, which I'm sure you could credit a lot to Dazed himself. I mean, he is, people have been saying, I mean, he's been studying uh, various teams from different regions. He's really been putting in the work. So you have to credit him for the, uh, the strategic advancement that that team has made. But individually, you finally started to see it come together for him on this map where, yeah, not only was he pivotal in that 7-0 lead that they got on attack where he was finding kills with utility, but he was just also finding raw entries. There was a round where he got, it was one of the uh, early rounds, he was getting multi-kills with his Sova alts, which mm. his utility usage, his alts were always looking so shaky, but it's, it's looking like he's really getting a handle of it. His fragging was good. And then at the end of the game on defense, he was just winning crucial rounds for his team, locking down Hookah on B. His aim was just so much better than it had been before. And then also, I, I do want to give credit to that t to the T1 team overall. Like Brax had some great moments in there as well. Skadoodle's entering has really just been a highlight for them. AZK, uh, you know, looking so comfortable on the breach. Spider will just give you those insane aim moments, and it just looks like it's coming together for T1 finally. This yep. this last day, the map went over Sentinels, and uh, oh, uh, and then also uh, uh, the the win against Gen G. Um, it just looks like that was finally the turning point for them. It's actually coming together now, and a lot of that, a lot of that credit does have to go to Dazed. And you know, he's he's still new to the game, and you can give him a bit of time. Um, and it, it looks like it's starting to come together. So, just Yo. really want to give them some credit there. Shout yeah. out my guy Dazed. Yeah, yeah. Oy, oy. No, that was a great. That's a great why it's weekly award. Oh, yeah, I bet you thought you. it was going to be you, didn't you, Matt? Huh? Little shit. Not gonna be you. Ever. I didn't think it was gonna be me. Never gonna. I be mean, you. it could have been me. I was fucking hilarious this week. Uh, <laughs> Look at. I mean, so, uh, but maybe next week though, I'll probably be just as funny next week. 
Uh-huh. It really was round after round after round. Dazed had such a pop off. I thought you were going to say it was really. You know, I was really. Mate, I'm not listening to anything you're saying. You're yeah, I was paying attention to that beautiful alt. Look at this thing. The say, recon really come funny. in. The double bounce catches Zoms, yeah. and then the alt comes through. He gets two those, off this. Those alt. double bounces are always I mean, funny to watch. Yeah. I like them. Yeah, it they they really mess with people. Yeah. That's after in the opening round as well, finding those two kills in showers too. I mean, like, yeah. dude was on fire. And the utility usage was just so much better from the team overall. It's what we were molding about when we were first watching T1, and it's it really has started to improve considerably. Cool. Well done. All right. Well, let's wrap it up by uh, writing this candle then, Wyatt. What are we thinking? I mean, for this one, mm. I'm giving this one a 6 out of 10. You're going to give it a 6? Yeah. You're not getting your nose any closer to it? How are you going mean, to smell I can, it? I, 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 well, that's the, the yeah. thing. Shouldn't it kind of permeate in the air to some extent? It, it's you a very... It's, uh, You're in a big fair, room. To be fair, I've yeah. been burning this in my room. I might be used to the smell, but if you can't smell it... I, it's so faint. Yeah, it's it very faint. very faint. But it, in my room, like a closed environment, you know, I don't really let much oxygen get out or in. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, it generally, it does some work, you know? Uh, um, I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm going to give that maybe a light five. A light five, yeah. yeah. Mm. It, 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 honestly, if, you, if you're looking at scented candles on Amazon... Chesapeake Bay, get away from it. You know, don't oh, don't wow. go for the Chesapeake Bay because um, if they won't be partnering with us, Chesapeake, yeah. Bay, the Chesapeake Bay, Bay Mind and Body rating. Series. We could have gone for them for a sponsorship, but instead, <laughs> nah, fuck them. Why a would Valorant it... podcast sponsored by a candle company? <laughs> why? <laughs> why would they sponsor? Uh, yeah, anyway. Listen, we're giving you the truth only on this show. Exactly. We don't hold it yeah. back for the companies. Yeah. Kirk, can you smell it? No, you can't smell it. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, it's listen. Well, I, I'm yeah. You okay. gave it a six. Would would five be average for you, or are you just a lenient raider? Yeah. What is the burn like on it? Does it burn quick? Like, is it, it a? It burns slow. slow. See, yeah, I've been working. I've been working this bad boy for for at least a, a two days. You, didn't you I feel like Bren's rating it based on yeah. <laughs> I think Bren's rating it based on it, its impact in his room as well. Yeah, yeah. My, I actually have noticed some a discernible impact oh, yeah. in my room, but like I said, closed environment. We're in quite an open space. Yeah. This set that we've got here, quite open. So maybe that's why we're not getting the maximum value out of it. Sure. So there you go. Maybe that maybe that needs to take into the consideration of the point system. Are you going to be like this in an open space? Are you rich? Do you have access to a mansion? If not, this might be the candle for you because it is. Uh, it's. You know, it's faint, but in a closed room, you can really get some bang for yeah, your if buck. You, if you're yeah. super rich, this $2 Amazon candle is not the one for you. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't $2, <laughs> Matt. I don't know how much I spent on it, but it wasn't $2. Also, these things, very cool. I keep, keep fucking around with it. I mean, this is like, a genuine hazard. I can, see, <laughs> I can see how close you are to your fucking left eyebrow just getting lit up. But it's like, it's a, yeah. it's a miniaturized plasma cutter. So like they've managed to miniaturize the technology using electricity, and you can light candles with it. I mean, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty sick. Can't you get like a barbecue lighter and just light it? Well, this is oh, like yeah, the but then you run out of fuel. This is the that future. Run out of fuel. This thing you can just charge up. There's no fuel. There's no fuel. It's literally fucking electric. Like it's running a a plasma current or whatever the hell. How, what is what even is plasma? Plas okay, well, listen. If you own hell? a uh, plasma cutter manufacturing plant, just yeah, let us know. Send us an cool. email. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Anyway. Plug your product. Thanks for watching Plat Chat Iron, everybody. Episode uh, 18, off the top of my head. Ba-boom. Uh, 
Yeah, go watch. Uh, go watch. You know, go outside. Get 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 some air or something. You know, go <laughs> go for a little walk. <laughs> get some sunshine or something. Go for a little walk around the block or something. You know, you deserve it. Treat yourself to some serotonin, uh, and we'll see you uh, <laughs> next time. Make sure you like the video if you enjoyed it as well. Actually, you little uh, you little you little scamps. Make sure you like the video. Boom. <laughs> <laughs>